0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. participating McDonald's for a limited time.
1: So this is the trick, Kevin. What do you think I'm going to say is the trick with this, this morning, this time of year? And it's a good thing, not a bad thing.
2: <sighs> um pray that we get weather like this week all year long well
1: this might be the greatest weather week of the year if you look at it right now uh, it's unbelievable and but the one thing i'll say this is one of those mornings that you get up and you do need a jacket but you know that you can probably leave it in the back of your car when you get to work right yeah you will certainly not need it for the
2: ride home i don't think you're gonna need it honestly at lunch either this week just looks absolutely glorious From a weather standpoint, I must admit, this Monday of April, so what is this, the second Monday of April, this is always where I get a little bummed. And again, nothing to do with Mother Nature, but whenever the Masters concludes, slash the NBA team that I care about season also concludes, which just happened to be on the same day yesterday, we talked a little bit about this last week, but my appointment sports viewing wanes a whole lot over the next few months which is great newt maddie's thrilled about that but for me i'm a little
1: bummed you no know, i would agree that for most people you know major league baseball i think for a lot of people kevin is kind of the beauty and at the same time for baseball itself the curse of major league baseball is i think to most people it's safe comfortable background noise right. of the late spring and early summer of like oh there's nothing going on whatever oh I, you know there's a game on i'm just going to turn it on while i got the windows open and it's kind of in the background
2: yeah i don't need to be on the couch at 704 getting ready for the first pitch correct
1: now for me this time of year i mean i love it because the anticipation starts to build for the month of may and i think a lot of people probably think that when i say the month of may that i mean like oh man i can't wait to see who's going to qualify well and what the the new such and such is going to look like or the paint scheme of this or that it's less that and more just the it awakens in me like the childhood thrill of knowing that summer is near and the and the race is a part of that um, the mini marathon i love to kind of start the month and then just the anticipation of the 500 for sure and you know, then the 500, the best thing about it is it basically kicks off the summer. And then you know the weather's going to be great. To me, it's all about weather. <laughs> you know what I mean? Boy, this week, again, you
2: cannot ask for anything more. And this weekend was glorious. So good Monday morning to you. Certainly hope you have the opportunity to enjoy uh, the outdoors this week or had that chance over the weekend. Uh, how was the weekend for you guys?
1: Uh, it was good. Let's see. For me on Friday night boy, I'm trying to think of what, oh Friday night uh, went met up with Byron and Shannon we went to Sun King which was great up in Fisher's and actually guys you'll be thrilled to know when I was at Sun King I, I met uh, not met but but ran into one of the guys that owns it and told him both of your fo- uh, I told him of both your fondnesses for weback sure awesome um it's true which he, that was his response as well so i was like going to
2: an indians game i've got a nice little sun king selection typically at indians games and they are home all week
1: god what a great week to go out to the park right, right? uh saturday went to have you guys been to i'm gonna mispronounce it probably kumas corner is that how you say oh, it sure yeah i've F- not found no. square I yeah, used to live, it's great uh pretty much a five minute walk i mean there. that truly is a cool place i turn around to shannon and i go what city does this most feel like you're in when you're in here She went with Los Angeles. I said, yeah, it's probably right. It's a uh, Chicago original, correct? Is that what it is? Pretty sure. Okay. It's cool. Uh, Yeah, great spot. But then yesterday, of course, Easter, getting together at my parents' house with the entire family. Beautiful weather. Um, My friend Dan was able to join us, which was great. Uh, So it was wonderful. It was great. How about you guys? Mark?
3: Uh, Friday, we uh, ended up staying in town, and we did the drive-in at Tibbs, the Tibbs drive-in, and we did Super Mario Brothers. Girls, Ashley, myself, we all loved it. We thought it was great. Very good nostalgia for the adults and just fun and silliness for the for the kids. So that was a good one. And then Saturday, we got up to my folks' house and uh, did some Easter egg hunts, all that stuff. Sunday, obviously, everybody in town, brothers came in from Milwaukee uh, and their significant others. Grandma, aunts, uncles all came over and all that stuff. So uh, it was probably the first Easter Sunday I can remember where we all spent the majority of it outdoors outdoors. And I was like, wow, well, I don't know when the last time it is that we'll, we'll ever be able to do all this with this kind of weather, but we took full advantage of it, so uh, it was great. Yeah,
2: I don't remember weather on Easter being like that in quite some time. Like, really? I feel like last year it was... Seems to me like it's always like that. I feel like it's like, always rainy or... I feel like it was jackets jewelry. on, certainly, and mm-hmm. the kids were just running around, no, no jackets on, and the ability to have a nice Easter egg hunt or two, so now it's managing the old sugar crash. that was difficult and then i found it fitting on saturday i got max in his little master's outfit feeling good ready to settle on the couch uh they blow the horn they say play is suspended for the day at Augusta national and two minutes later max is a blowout in his master's outfit Uh, okay okay i thought that accurately summed up what my saturday was like i always feel this i'm like we're supposed to be dreary and cold Augusta national it's not supposed to be dreary and cold yeah isn't that weird it was a very odd weather down there, but Mother Nature cooperated yesterday and John Rahm is your winner of the 2023 Masters. I, I could not believe when they said this afterwards that he's the first European ever to win the Masters and the U.S. Open. I just would have guessed that Seve Ballesteros or Nick Faldo or you know, somebody from Europe would have captured both of those titles. But uh, a, a mini-choke by Brooks Kepka, I think is an accurate way to put it. And John Rahm, who has the look of just kind of a kind of a rhino that can be a bit uh, certainly boisterous on the golf course, but he was methodical and he looks steady. like Mitt Romney uh, <laughs> all day long uh, for thirty holes. And John Rahm wins by four shots. And honestly, probably the stories of the tournament will be more remembered for the guy that finished second than anything. That was incredible by Phil Mickelson at the age of fifty-two.
1: Now, allow me to ask this. <clears throat> for for Brooks Kepka would what happened to him yesterday be listed as and I'm not picking on you because I mean it was a this you know I mean I, I saw social media I'm watching it with my entire family I mean would would that be listed as a quote-unquote choke if it had been Jordan Speth If it had been a non-live golfer that's not seen as like kind of this cocky dude. In other words, there's no doubt that he started to falter and collapse a little bit, but I thought he came back nicely from that. Like, Rom, to me, was the more consistent player. I mean, you've got to be, I think in the Masters or in any major, it's better, obviously, to be consistently very good throughout than to be outstanding and then subpar and then back to outstanding again.
2: Yeah, I, I would call it a choke, Jake, and this is for a couple of reasons. One, Kepka started the day with a four shot lead and lost by four. So that is an eight shot difference. That's pretty large. And I, again, they played, what, uh, you know, 10 extra holes, 11 extra holes. So it wasn't just 18. So I can acknowledge that. Um, but two other reasons. It's not like John Rom went out and shot 62 on the right. final day. John Rom played well, he shot 69. That That's a very respectable score, but it wasn't. Frankly, it wasn't close to the low of the day. You know, you had Mickelson shoot 65, Spieth at 66. I mean, you had other guys um, play much better. And then I would say the last reason was if you look at the tournament over the course of 72 holes. And we kind of touched on this on Friday's show. Basically, how tee times work on Thursday and Friday at any PGA Tour event. It's just luck of the draw. You play morning one day, you play afternoon the next. And then obviously, half the field has the reverse of that. They play afternoon the first day, morning the next day. Brooks Kepka got the right side of the Mother Nature draw. If you look at the people that Brooks teed off around versus Rom, it was about a two stroke difference in Brooks' draw versus Rom. Rom had to play, basically, Rom had to play more golf holes in bad weather. And so I think when you factor all of that in, Brooks had the better side of the draw. He had the four-shot lead. It's not like John Rahm went out there and shot 64 on Sunday. For all those reasons, I think you would label it a choke. And I also think when you I have— I mean, he
1: had a really bad third quarter and early fourth quarter, right? I mean—
2: Yeah, and it was almost like—I mean, I know he birdied 15 and 16, but at some point, Jake, isn't that like you're down 12 in the fourth quarter and you hit a couple threes?
1: That's, yeah, that's fair.
2: But again, kudos kudos to Rahm for, again, not getting the right side of the draw, um, for what he did uh, to put a little pressure on Kepka to start yesterday's resumption of play. And then obviously what he did in being very methodical, I thought all day yesterday, quite
1: impressive. You know, I think the thing for me about the Masters that's there's a lot that makes it super cool, obviously. Um, but for me, it's just the fact that like so many people were watching it as part of their, like with their family get together, you know, I mean that's kind of the tradition of it, which, it, which makes it cool. Um, and you want to see people win it that have kind of a respect for all of that that goes into it. Certainly John Rahm seemingly is in that category. Yeah, I'm not saying
2: big historian.
1: Yeah. I'm not saying Kepka isn't my dad. Actually, I thought it was interesting when late in oh it was probably they were probably on 16 and rom was getting ready to shoot a shot and and kepka had had an approach that wasn't great and my dad actually grabbed the remote and was like whoa watch that and rewound it and they had a shot of kepka and he was just kind of standing by himself staring just kind of overseeing everything and all of a sudden he stopped and like looked around and then smirked and my dad's like that guy's beaten like you could like it was almost to your point Kevin like he knew at that point. Yeah, I just hit another 3 but like this thing's over. You know, the, the reality set into him that it was over.
2: Mark and I obviously watched that full swing the the Netflix PJ Tour series. So, you know, Mark, you recall that Kepka episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are quotes from Kepka in that episode where he pretty much says like and it was ironic that it was in reference to last year's Masters when Scotty Scheffler won. He said something to the effect of like I go back to the last major I won, and I would do anything to have that feeling again. Like, he craves that arena, that environment so much. Not to say that other guys don't, but I would say Kepka's at or near the top of the list. And basically, he gets in that arena, he gets in that moment, and then he just kind of wilts. I can imagine how difficult that must be for him because it's not like he gets to experience it a whole lot on the live tour. And I thought you saw yesterday, and I know it's kind of an easy storyline to go to, but I thought you saw a guy that, and John Rahm, his last win was at Riviera Tigers Tournament, probably one of the bigger PJ Tour events of the year, non-major division. And Brooks Kepka's last win was last week at a public golf course in Florida where they had a shotgun start and he finished on the middle of the golf course. Slightly different environments in closing both of those out. And I thought both of them played like that. Yesterday, But again, Mickelson, I mean, 52 years old. And we'll have Will Haskett on in less than an hour. I mean, Phil Mickelson has been awful on the Live Golf Tour. Awful. And he comes out and finishes second. It was probably a pretty good weekend
1: for the old livers. If you look at... So Brooks Kepka turned professional in what year? 14, somewhere in there? 15?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I remember watching him play at Wolf Run when he was in college. That was 2011. And then he followed a girlfriend to Europe for a few years and got his card over there. So yeah, probably probably right around there.
1: So his first, when you were talking about him saying that he just wants that like flavor, that feel again of his first win, his first was in uh, seven, or what 18. No, 17. Okay? So a couple years in. I think you see this a lot, Kevin. I'll use a Super Bowl and an Indy 500 analogy. You know, you hear players talk about, like, like Ben Roethlisberger talks about, like, getting a Super Bowl early in his career and thinking, like, well, this is easy. And there are other guys that are like, no, man. Like, it's not. Don't take it for granted. But you don't know when that success comes early, you don't realize it's impossible it's at no fault of the athlete but i don't know that you necessarily grasp or understand everything that went into that victory and you know alexander rossi says the same thing about winning the 13500 he was a rookie and he's like by the time i realized what had happened it was all over with so i didn't get a chance to truly stop and absorb and soak in the moment so i think for any player that has success early kevin then the rest of their career becomes the pursuit of an appreciation Because they didn't appreciate it the first time around, and they want to now they understand it, so they want to be able to watch it all, like from the first person, as opposed to the third person retroactively. You know what I mean? Do you remember a few
2: years ago when the Indy Five Hundred did? I thought it was a great um, tease for that year's race, where. They replayed the Indy 500 wins for half a dozen guys, and they just put each of them on camera, and they didn't really ask them many questions. They just wanted their raw emotion and their reaction to hearing the radio call, hearing the TV call of their respective wins. I forget if it was Ryan hunter Ray or Elio, but one of them said something to the effect of, that was really cool. I want to do that again. Yeah. And that's, I think, what Kepka is saying. Like, you don't get these moments to all. And Kepka went through, you know, a a pretty big bout of injuries as well. He had an awful major season last year. Again, he's over on this live golf tour. He's only eligible for next year's Masters. After next year's Masters, he's not qualified for the next 10 Masters. So he's got to make sure that he finishes top 12 next year at the Masters just to continue to play in it. So um, I think for all those reasons. You felt that in watching him play. I, I did find it ironic. Obviously, the man that runs the Live Golf Tour is Greg Norman. Uh, Brooks Kepka now becomes the third, um, I guess the second player, the third time in major history that a player has reached 12 under par or better after 36 holes and not gone on to win. That would be Greg Norman twice. And Brooks Kepka
1: here over the weekend. Brooks Kepka's first... Victory that PGA I was talking about. Who was runner-up? Uh,
2: was it Baltus Rall? Was it Tiger?
1: No. Um, Phil Rom? Nope. Who was that? Brian Harmon. Oh boy,
2: sweet swinging lefty, the, the little guy from Tampa. Ambidextrous, Georgia. yeah. How about the Rom storyline? You know, Rom's college coach was Tim Mickelson, Phil's brother. And Tim Mickelson quit Arizona State as Rom turned pro to become John Rom's caddy. Um, obviously was extremely high on what he thought John Rom's career could turn into. After a few years, Tim Mickelson and John Rom had a little, little bit of a falling out. Rom gets a new caddy. Tim Mickelson then becomes Phil's caddy, and now you have Rom putting on his first green jacket with Phil finishing second and Tim Mickelson on the bag of Phil. Kind of a unique little story there. What's a caddy get paid? I think it depends. Um, I think kind of like the single-digit percent, and then depending on majors. I think maybe if you win a major, it's like 10%, but I think typically it's like around five-ish percent.
1: And do you think the caddy, how much strategy does the caddy contribute? Um, I
2: think there's a decent amount of strategy. I'd say also probably a decent amount of just mental. Like, you know, be a little jockey on your horse, calm that horse down. Right. Uh, Especially with Rom, the fiery Rom. But yeah, I think there's, especially at a course like Augusta National where it can be a very fine line, I think there's a good amount of strategy Who would be
1: the best caddy, um, fictional or real, in sports, who would be the, the, the best caddy for you? Who would be the best person to have as your caddy? Like just from a mental... I think you'd want the opposite personality of who you are.
2: Just someone that knows you. Someone that knows when to... Push the buttons and when to rein you in. Probably
1: Mike Byron for you. Ted Lasso would be a good caddy, right? Byron would be a good one if it's... Would Lasso be too, like... Yeah, after a while, it'd be like, "All right, dude, that's like
2: the seventh pump-up speech," and we're on the third (laughs) hole.
1: I think that's probably right. Byron'd be good if it's nine fifty at night on a Sunday, and I need to be picked up from a (laughs) golf course two hours away, right?
2: Uh, The Pacers' season is complete thirty five and forty seven for the Pacers. They will await several coin flips to see exactly where they will draft. They are tied for seventh in the tank standings with. The Washington Wizards. So, um, the lottery is next month in Chicago, and basically, it's like a um, I would say it's like a six percent chance at the number one pick, and I think it's somewhere in the twenties maybe for a um, top four pick. But if you want to have a good omen here, I saw yesterday this is kind of wild. So,
1: when they sit at eighth, is that right?
2: I think they're tied for seventh. Um, yeah, twenty nine percent chance at a top four pick. Six point eight percent of the number one pick. How about this? Five straight years that the team slotted seventh in the lottery standings has gotten the top four pick. That's got
1: to be a good omen, right? I mean, the problem is again. I'm going to go back to this is just this. This is the year where I guess good or bad. Top three, maybe four. Players in this draft, pretty unique. After that, five through about twelve pretty interchangeable. At least that's the thought process.
2: I feel like it's almost like the top couple are like super unique. And then maybe the others
1: are still pretty good. No, I'm not saying they're not good, yeah, don't get me wrong. But like in terms of I maybe mean, people obviously talk about Web and Yama. There's like, a definitive top three. Let's put it that way.
2: Um so the Pacers have Again, their pick, that will be in the lottery. They'll pick either 25th or 26th. That depends on a coin flip. That's Cleveland's first-round selection. They're locked into 29 from Boston. So there's three picks in the first round. And then the second round is pretty wild. Um, They could still pick with one of the first selections in the second round. That is pending a coin
1: flip. Um, Oh, we know how those go in Pacers history.
2: If not, that'll be a little bit later in the second round, 48 um, 49 or 50. So uh, five selections in total three in the first, two in the second, and they'll have to await a little bit more of clarity on exactly when they'll be
1: selected. Oh, what the heck? Let's get the week off to a running start with a little mock draft simulation, shall we? This is the NBA Draft Tankathon 2023. Pacers were eighth with the ninth pick. In the 2023 NBA mocked draft tankathon, the Indiana Pacers select Grady Dick from the University of Kansas. Seems to be the popular one here in the uh, yeah. past few tankathons. But they do yeah. have Marcus Sasser, 26th out of Houston, and household name of Saidi Sissoko from the G League at 29th, and then again, Bilal Kulabali international player at 32nd. Man, I mean, four in the top 32. But again, a coin
2: flip for that 32nd
1: one. That is not
2: locked in, so we'll have to wait and see um, if that'll happen. Yesterday, Benedict Matherin with 26. Did find it pretty fitting that Matherin ends the year. 13 free throw attempts in that game. That is the season high. Obviously, him getting to the foul line has arguably been his best attribute as a rookie. To me, the most important thing for Matherin yesterday and where his game has taken small strides here late in the year and needs to continue to do heading into year two. He had a season-high six assists. And that, I think, becoming more of a playmaker. I feel like at times it's just like bowling a china shop, get to the foul line at all costs. It's a great weapon. Comes in really handy, but to grow his game, which, again, I think there is a lot of room for growth, which is exciting. Him becoming more of a playmaker,
1: well served. Is the statue still being built or did, is that on hold? Oh no, stand? I think
2: the statue. I think you averaged sixteen a game, seventeen a game as a rookie. You think that's got that's got to be one of the highest in Pacers. You think any Pacer rookies ever had more?
1: Oh yeah, uh, Chuck Person. Chuck Person was rookie of the year. Let's see what he averaged. Is he in the twenties. I, I mean, admittedly, low bar here, Kevin. But in the in the early eighties, Pacers. I, I mean, you had no choice but to average a lot because they were just terrible. Right, the rookies were just the guys. Uh, Chuck Person, as a rookie for the Pacers, averaged eighteen point eight. What did Matherin average? Matherin
2: average, I think it was just under seventeen. And you probably, I assume, Chuck Person was a
1: full time starter as a in oh, yeah.
2: rookie. Yeah, you know, obviously Matherin was not, but nonetheless, I still think
1: Clark Kellogg averaged twenty a game as a rookie. But again, I mean, to your point, those those teams were, you know, twenty six and fifty six. I mean.
2: Yeah, ten win improvement from last season for the Pacers. Um, from a play-in format that'll get underway tomorrow night. You'll have, um, I want to say it's the Heat and the Hawks, Lakers, and the. Did you guys see the Timberwolves just fighting each other?
1: Yeah, how about that, Rudy? Well, Rudy Gobert's got that long reach, you know.
2: <laughs> Jaden McDaniels breaks his hand. I mean, that's unbelievable. They take on the Lakers tomorrow night. Lakers are at home. They win. They'll play the Grizzlies in round one. Heat and Hawks tomorrow night. And then Wednesday, it'll be the Bulls and Raptors and Thunder and Pelicans. Which of those series is most intriguing to you? Well, it's just one and done. I know, but I'm sorry. sorry. Um, I
1: was going to say, of the series, like Lakers-Grizzlies would be an intriguing series, right? Oh, if the Lakers win? Yeah.
2: Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, you could probably say Lakers, anybody. Honestly, the... We have to wait to see the one and the two seed who they play, of course, but based on the playing, I think one of the coolest series is the Bay Bridge series, Kings and Warriors.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, mean
2: you—you're you, you, right. The Kings have been the stepchild for Ever. decades. Yeah. and that series, I—do you think the Warriors are favored in that series? Probably just
1: based on reputation, right? They I mean, gotta be. At some point, you know, Sacramento reminds me kind of like of some of the, the really good Pacer teams. Like, I'm sure no one else outside Sacramento talks about them, but they're good.
2: So the four series we know, 76ers, Nets, 3-6, Cavs, Knicks, that's 4-5. Again, Kings, Warriors, and then the other one out west we know, Suns and Clippers. Boy, that's a that's quite the 4-5 matchup, Suns and Clippers. The Colts offseason program will begin today. We can touch on that throughout the show. Will Haskett joined us at 8 uh, tonight. Your Indiana Fever at the number one pick. Lynn Dunn. I always love
1: Chad Oh, Lynn she's Dunn. the best.
2: Lynn Dunn going to join us at nine. I think the overwhelming thought is Aaliyah Boston out of South Carolina will be the selection there. I believe she or whoever the number one pick is will join us tomorrow. I did think about this, about the Fever. Part of me was like, would you want to trade back to get more picks for next year so you could get Caitlin Clark?
1: But you got to have probably the one, don't you?
2: Right, I'm thinking. All right, can you get more ammo for next year's draft? Like, is Caitlin Clark viewed and now maybe no team will trade out a number one? Or the, what about Angel Reese at LSU?
1: Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, whoever
2: Page Beckers, you. UCon- I don't know if they're viewed in the same light. Do you as get, do you get Angel Reese
1: so that, like, if Chicago has Caitlin Clark, you could just basically taunt her the whole game? <laughs> Talk about a great rivalry here for the next that would be decade awesome. Plus.
2: Uh, and then uh, you guys see Odell Beckham.
1: Yeah. Now does that do we read into that, Kevin? Odell Beckham to the Ravens.
2: Did I see a Lamar Jackson FaceTime with Odell Beckham last night?
1: See? I saw somebody that said, see, this is proof that he's not coming to the Colts. I'm like, he, he he wasn't coming to the Colts. Right? He wasn't coming to the Colts.
2: Yeah, it just never felt like that was very realistic, but looks like you would think that move might indicate that Baltimore, based off their words, they certainly act like Lamar, is going to return. We'll get some college basketball news as well. It is a glorious start to it's this nice. Monday here in Indianapolis. This is one of the best weather weeks you're ever going to find here in the month of April. So certainly enjoy it if you can. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton here, 93.5 The Fan. John Rahm is your 2023 Masters winner. Jim Nance, in very Jim Nance fashion, had this as the call for the final putt.
1: From sunrise to sunset, Rom wins the Masters Marathon.
2: Obviously, the day started early for John Rom and company. Um, it goes 30 holes in total. Cut into that Brooks Kepka lead. And then uh, in that first round, or the first nine of the final round, that was when Rom took control, built a nice lead, and really pretty anticlimactic final five or six holes which I, I was a bit disappointed by
1: fourth spaniard to win the masters can you name the others Ooh, well the guy behind the 18th green
2: oh uh seve's birthday yesterday right yep and then um you should definitely know the third oh yeah the old liver sergio that's correct why wasn't sergio there i don't
1: i don't know the answer to that
2: jose maria was sergio was not
1: are we reading into that? Mm. A little live
2: division there with Sergio Garcia. Not behind the 18th green. Uh, moving over to the Pacers. They conclude their season yesterday 35-47. and 47. Uh, They do beat the New York Knicks, which cost them, I think it was like 6 or 7% chance at a uh, top four pick. Uh, they pretty much benched everyone of note outside of the young guys. Benedict Mathern had 26 points. Uh, 13 foul shot attempts for the rookie. Uh, So they end the season 10 wins better than they ended last year, and right now they will await a coin flip to see exactly where things stand for the lottery. They're tied for seventh with Washington um, from a lottery standpoint. They'll have five picks in total, three in round one, two in round two coming up. Uh, Lottery is next month, and then the NBA draft is in
1: June. Yeah, so the big question becomes – How many of those picks do they hold on to, and who from this past season that played well for them, do they say that's a guy we can run with, or that's a guy that played well for us because we won 30 games?
2: The only free agent of note is O'Shea Brissett, correct? Yes. So, not a lot of, like, I guess, internal roster decisions. Obviously, you extended Miles Turner, you know, during the season, but, you know, to the draft pick point, you have five picks. You don't have room for five dudes on your roster. So, I'd be trying
1: to wheel and deal and. Move up even higher. Dealing and dealing. Uh yesterday, Major League Baseball. Swoosh Mark. Uh games of note. Reds over the Phillies six four yesterday. It was the Brewers over the Cardinals by a score of sixty one. The Pirates over the White Sox one nothing. Rangers over the Cubs eight two. Now in terms of our uh three team sweepstakes here for PBR, Yankees over the Orioles, cute fella dropping it it was i think we all three lost yesterday rays over the athletics 11 nothing stink. <laughs> just <laughs> stink. 11 nothing and the oh no you won mark the diamondbacks 11-6 over the dodgers yesterday indianapolis indians by the way 8-1 winners over the louisville bat that's the
3: race diamondbacks six and four to start the season just just fyi yeah the rays are nine and
2: Nine oh. and oh one of the best starts in the baseball scene <laughs> in 20 uh, years and you got to give a shout out to brady ware the university of indianapolis I'm greyhound one of the most amazing feats you will ever see uh, the graduate transfer had a no hitter and he also hit for the cycle in the same game on Friday he was 4 for 4 five ribbies uh, and then in 7 innings pitched 11 strikeouts zero hits i believe it was a double header so I think that has to be unprecedented right has to be um, so I think that might have played into the seven innings. I don't know if they do a ton of run rule. They won 13 nothing for what it's worth. I found it very ironic that he's from Poway, California. Obviously, you can't imagine that's a huge pipeline. But I remember when I was at IU covering the baseball team for Tracy Smith, they had several kids from Poway, California. Really? Alex Dickerson, one of their all-time home run leaders until Kyle Schwarber showed up. Was from there, but he's a
1: grad transfer, I believe, right?
2: Yes, um, just an absolutely incredible performance.
1: I mean that again. I'm going to go back to that has to be unprecedented, right? At, at any level, yes. I mean a no hitter and a the cycle, absurd. Four for four. He I did see be... uh,
2: he was over three the next day, so cooled off a little bit.
1: How many guys? I mean, has Shohei Atani done? I mean, how many players at any point in their career? Have done both, let alone in the same game. You think
2: Greg Gregshaw did that? Didn't he play baseball at UND? Tennis. Tennis. I thought Rake was switch hitter.
1: They used to play endless love when when he was on the court, as I understand it.
2: Rake. Yeah. In my opinion, that sucked. I thought that was pretty good. Grad transfer from St. Catherine, NAIA school. Brady Ware. Unbelievable. Where's St. Catherine? Doesn't that sound like it'd be like a New Brunswick? I I thought it was out in California. I mean, I'm sure it is. On that. Uh, Again, the Fever, uh, they have the number one overall pick tonight. They draft 1-7, 13-17, and 25. So, a chance to continue this rebuild, which they are in the thick of a rebuild. Lynn Dunn going to join us, the general manager, coming up at 9 o'clock. I will be curious to see where Grace Berger goes tonight from Indiana. Yeah. I saw uh, kind of a late-ish first-round pick. Maybe the Fever could... Nabroth number seven or
1: thirteen. Cool. I, again, same same issue there, Kevin. We can talk to Lynn Dunn about it. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of new faces. Which when, I think they. need. How many it. openings do they have, though? You know what I mean? Because they've been drafting high for drafting a while
2: high now. and not successful. Correct for quite some time. They've had so some bad drafts. They need it more than the Pacers need quantity, based off you know the Pacers probably need quality, not necessarily quantity. All right, it is a beautiful Monday morning here in Indianapolis. Hope you all had a great weekend and got to get outside. Uh, we'll chat a little Colts, Odo Beckham to the Ravens, and a busy week for the Colts. Shane Sykins, first time is probably delivering team meeting to the Colts will happen later today. We'll
5: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating at McDonald's for a
5: limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: Play more coming up. Jake Shane Steichen
5: today. First time he
2: will have a team meeting as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts uh, off-season program. Nine weeks of it starts today. You know it is voluntary. Typically, I think the numbers hover. I would guess north of 95%, to be honest with you, in terms of attendance from players. And I would like to think that when you have a new head coach, that number is even higher. Uh, But yeah, Shane Steichen um, will, and this new staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball, will hold their off-season program. Getting strength and conditioning for the first couple of weeks and some meetings. They'll actually have a mini-camp just before the draft and then wait till kind of late May into June before they continue to have OTA sessions and a mandatory minicamp to round out the spring,
1: you think uh, they'll wear like they wear name tags for him? I think he's got a pretty good idea who everybody is.
2: You would think on the offense so well. I guess defensively, you are losing a lot as well. I I found this hard to believe. Right now, Jake, they are they have to replace four of the top eight guys from their defense last year. That that's like kind of a and big and Four of eight. Gilmore, O'Karake, Roddy McLeod as a free agent. Played the third most snaps of anybody on you on the defense for you last year. And then Yanni Kengakwe.
1: Now, here's the other thing. And that's under the assumption that you're not having to, I'm not saying replace, but continue to slowly bring in or see what you have in Shaquille Leonard, right?
2: And I think that might be the biggest storyline of the spring, Um, non-quarterback division, of course, and honestly just non-draft. Just put the draft to the side, which, again, two weeks from Thursday. Uh, By the way, Deontay Lee is going to join us here to round out the show, draft analyst for The Athletic. Uh, Are we getting Dane Brugler on this week too, Mark? Yeah, he'll be on Thursday. So Dane Brugler is going to join us later in the week. Um, You know Leonard's health, because in losing Okarake, basically what you said is, We think, we hope, whatever, that Shaquille Leonard will be back and will slide right into that role next to Zaire Franklin because, you know, when you think about what you lost in Gilmore, he was really the only guy on your football team, either side of the ball, that even sniffed being a closer for you, even sniffed making a meaningful play in the fourth quarter. You know, Leonard has had moments like that throughout his career. And so the question becomes, A, can he get back to just playing on the field, and then, B, when he is on the field, what does he look like? Because, Jake, I thought when he was out there last year, I thought he looked like a shell of himself. I thought he was a totally. liability.
1: Totally. And it was, like, uncomfortable to say that, right? And You know what I mean? Like That wasn't PC to, to say, but... Well, if you say that, he's going to find you on Twitter. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've woken up the
2: next morning and been like, why do I have 10 notifications from Shaquille Leonard on Twitter? And he'll just go through my mentions and just like anybody that rips him. Just oh, uh, Leonard isn't any good. Like, uh, we're gonna really miss Bobby Okereke. Leonard's not, you know, he's not healthy. Like, I'm like, man, that's got to be exhausting at night to like
1: search your name on Twitter like that. I'm, I don't think people in the radio business do that, do they? At least not anymore. Um, the guy that I think is really important for them, and I know that we've we've mentioned this before. But EJ Speed is going to be an important player for them, isn't he?
2: Yeah, I you know, call him insurance, and I feel like when you call like a guy insurance, it means you don't think they have a very high ceiling. But I don't feel that with speed. Like I think Speed Correct. actually can reach a little bit more. Um yeah, I, I think he's a I think he's a nice talent and I think he's done a really good job. Was probably your most important special teamer last year. Um, obviously he would fall into the category of if Leonard isn't healthy you would need him. And we should mention Jonathan Taylor is coming off ankle surgery. And this is a guy that has never missed time due to injury until this season. So, you know, how much Leonard does in the spring, how much Taylor does in the spring, Leonard to me deserves more attention than Taylor, given the nature of the injury over the last couple of years. But um, you know, this is Shane Steichen's first time you know, leading the team. How will that direct, concise communicator how, how will that
1: Translate. How will that? Do you that think of re- the voluntary relate? organizational, you know, team events when they're voluntary? Do you think you have a higher turnout when it's a new coach? Because guys are like, you know what, like, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because
2: you want to make a good impression. Correct. Yeah, I I would say that you definitely do, and I've always felt this way. You know, the Colts, I get like the physical nature of what you can do this time of year is pretty restrictive. But when you've lost, what is it? Is it now nine straight season openers? Seems like eons. When the last quarterback you beat in a week one game was Terrell Pryor, it's been a while. Wow. (laughs) Basically, what I'm getting at is, don't you need to do something different in the offseason? You know, and it's not just week ones, like the month of September has been a big issue for I think the bigger issue, Kevin, well. has been
1: what are they doing in training camp. And, and right, training camp probably matters more. Well, what are they doing that – this is such a cheap narrative that I'm almost hesitant to go there. But what is it that takes place with the Indianapolis Colts that leads to seemingly or what feels like a much larger – percentage odds that players are getting dinged up injuries in the first quarter of the season than other teams. You know, you hear people say like, is there something with the medical staff that I, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the medical staff. I, is it something to do with their playing surface? You know, I have no idea, but doesn't it seem like every year we bring that up?
2: Yeah. And they have been, you know, one of the more injured teams. When you look at games missed and those stats, I just feel like early in the season, it's not necessarily as much of a, of it as that. It's just, I mean, they just have poor play out of the gate. Right. Well, they're definitely the slow out of the gate, that's for sure. And then you're in full scrambled mode. So off-season program, again, nine weeks long. I'm going to head up there later today. They've got a local pro day. Um, I think it's always interesting to see, you know, which kind of Big Ten guys what, attend that pro day. Will you see the Purdue guys there? Um, I thought it was really interesting. We had Matt Miller on last week. You know, he didn't want to go Aiden O'Connell, Payne Durham. He said Charlie Jones and Corey Trice from Purdue could be the guys first taken off the board. So Purdue could be looking at. And when's the last time Purdue's had four guys drafted in a
1: single year? It's got to be one of the tiller years. By the way, uh, this is a, a landmark day for the 2023. 2023- calendar year. I don't recall, was it in this calendar year where Mark had to come over and close the blinds before 8 a.m.? Well, that's a great point. And Mark, you're going to have to do it all week long before 8. It's beautiful. I cannot get over this weather. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, So speaking of yesterday's Masters, I had this question for you guys in the break, but I want to repeat it here because I can't be the only one that thinks this. With the Masters, which is one of the great traditions in sports, obviously, but all you hear about is the green jacket, the green jacket, the green jacket. It takes takes a month to custom make a green jacket there you know the there's nine pounds of twill that is you know brought in from the finest shops of bangladesh and it's brought over in ivory boats and you know yada, yada green jacket green jacket green jacket it's the greatest thing ever and you only get it for one year and then after that it has to go in their clubhouse and you can only wear it when you come back to augusta yada 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 so then why is it that every time somebody wins the masters they put the green jacket on it and it fits them perfectly like, are they just – do they just have – are they like, okay, we're going to measure everybody on the opening day, and you're either a 38, 40, 42, 44, 46, long, medium, or extra long, and then that's the one you get, and you got to hope that it fits around the front? Yeah, I would like to see
2: some video of maybe, like, when Ian Woosnam won the Masters, and they had to put the green jacket on him. Like, if Craig him.
1: Statler wins it, it's got to be a different one than Sergio Garcia's, right? I think Woosnam versus Vijay Singh, slightly <laughs> different arm lengths on that one but but literally it's like you've never seen anybody put on the green jacket when they win the masters and have it be anything but like a perfect fit i like john rom's gut he does have a bit of a
3: gut doesn't he i love it never seen where like the sleeves go over the hands or whatever they're yeah i
2: mean size
1: are like too short like yeah ever. maybe they're
2: flying someone down from leon's tailoring and they're <laughs> in the uh in the butler cabin just ready to go the Butler Cabin Ceremony is easily the most awkward trophy championship celebration in any sport. Yeah, Like, Nance makes it, it's so stuffy, and all of a sudden you're talking to Sam Bennett, and then you're like, oh, Sam Bennett, thanks, man, now leave the room. And then I'm like, wait, is Rahm going to shake Scotty Scheffler's hand? No, he's not. Scheffler's just going to put the jacket on, then he's going to leave the room. Luckily, in years past, what they used to do is Nance would do like the narration After the green jacket, basically they show you know thirty seconds of highlights of the winner, and Nance narrates the day, you know, on a day that began at you know with dew swept grounds here at Augusta National. It's the Spaniard, blah blah blah. They used to zoom in on the champion right after, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what? Do you want him to cry? Yes, they do. And Nance, of course, you know, goes out of his way to try and make you cry. But Nance, I I thought handled, and Fred Ridley is so awkward. Okay, it's so
1: forced. This. I'm going to put myself in a position here of of sounding like the idiot because the answer probably is some obvious one where both of you are going to be like, what, dude, are you kidding? Has there been a time where the Masters came down to like a final hole shootout between the former winner or, you know, the reigning winner and a new winner and thus after like this dramatic finish going back and forth, the guy that lost then has to put the jacket on the new one.
2: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Jordan Spieth... Mark, look that up. Did Danny Willett win it the year after Spieth won it? I, I think that was the year where Spieth knocked a ton in the water. It looked like he was going to win two in a row, and yeah, he and knocked then he's a ton got in the water on twelve, and then had to hand it to or put it on Danny Willett. Yeah, I mean that's. And then the year Tiger won back to back. I does the chairman just put it on Tiger's shoulders, or does Tiger just put it on himself? Boy, that's a good question.
1: Well, like I said, uh, apparently you only get one, so they just give him, like, here you go.
3: Yeah, Jordan Spieth won in 2015, and Danny Willett won 2016.
1: Yeah, I think that
2: was the year where Spieth had a collapse in the back nine, and I mean, I guess you just kind of put on your face
1: for a few holes. I can't believe Spieth won it in 15. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it's been eight years since he won. It's crazy. Because I still think of him as like the young up-and-comer, you know what I mean?
2: Sam Bennett to live. Does Sam Bennett have a live look to you? I don't know that anybody has. A lot of zen in the mouth of Sam Bennett this weekend.
1: I'm going to make a comment that you're going to disagree with, Kevin. I think
2: Brooks as well, actually.
1: I feel like the live golf thing has the bite or the sting or the blasphemy of that has watered itself down to most people, other than, and I say this respectfully, but other than golf diehards. I think diehard golf fans, it it still bothers them, and I totally understand why. I think to the average person, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's that other thing that pays a ton of money. Cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, what, dominated sports headlines for a 48-hour period last summer? I mean, it's golf at the end of the day.
1: What I'm saying is I think there was the narrative in the beginning of – there's no way this thing can last. It's going to be like on YouTube and after 6 months it's going to go away and then I think very quickly people figured out, wait a minute, this isn't going away. So we might as well like learn to to coexist.
2: Well, endless money. So if the Saudis so, want to keep it going, they
1: will. Right. And so I think the average the the transcendent golf fan, the the remote clicker stop on big tours golf fan isn't as offended by the notion of it as and I totally get it the Saudi money the politics of it the greediness of it I totally get it and I understand why to people who are golf purists it is I, I mean my my trust me my sister and my dad yesterday are like I mean they, they knew every single one who was live who wasn't it is very similar to the cart IRL split in the Indy 500 in 2001 2000 I totally get it but i think that to the passerby people are that narrative has sorted itself out and it's just like yeah okay i mean they, they play in that league that pays a ton of money cool yeah we um
2: my, my parents had a neighbor friend over and even my uncle's not like a super diehard golf fan they both it was kind of like oh who you're rooting for i'm like oh you know i i just want to see a competitive finish probably john rom though And the, and they're both like yeah i just want the people that aren't on the live tour
1: Okay. I, I mean, like,
2: I was like, wow, that's really I, I again to your point, Jake, I didn't think the casual fan cared too much about it. I, I did appreciate like Nance didn't make too many references to it. I think in the lead in it was like, you know, whatever, two alpha ish from different tours going head to head. And that was the most disappointing aspect of it. It's just Brooks wilted. And you didn't get the back nine duel that I think
3: we all thought would happen. To that point we were watching Sunday morning before breakfast and Ashley's like Brooks Kepka, he's with Liv, right? Because we watched Full Swing. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, she's like, oh, I don't want him to win.
1: Yeah, and that's what Maddie said. Yeah. The same thing. By the way, uh, several people pointed out the players submit jacket size before the tournament. And they have a variety of jackets waiting for whoever is the winner. Uh, they must alter it afterward because that, isn't that the whole narrative? Is like the the PGA has an entire website about like the nine week process it takes to to custom make a jacket. Clearly, they must alter it after the fact.
2: Yeah, Graham, you know, makes a reference to kind of like the milk with the five hundred
1: obviously you just got to keep it on ice you, you know that at that point i'll do this in 20 seconds castor nevis is the first one to begin the dumping of the milk over his head tradition do you know why that is
2: i i do not know
1: castor nevis when he won his second indy 500 the american dairy association of indiana who presents to the winner their bottle of milk they have a they have a farmer that they have one farmer that that presents the milk, and then another one that's called the rookie, which helps out, and it's a two-year process. So when Castro Nevis won the five hundred, because they had the same farmer working it, they just were under the assumption like that that farmer would be able to, would know what Castro Nevis's milk was the year before, but because they had accidentally misplaced the list, because they have the option skim, two percent, whole milk, whatever. So Nevis comes in and they're like, oh gosh, we can't remember whether he wants 2% or skim. We lost the sheet, but at least, you know, John here will know because, and John's like, I can't remember either. So they said, well, more often than not, it's either 2% or like skim. So they had the two bottles to ask Nevis which one he preferred. They were going to subtly ask him. Castroneves gets out of the car and thinks, well, I just won my second Indy 500. I must get two bottles instead of one. So he grabbed both of them, took the sip of one, and was like, what am I supposed to do with this other one? And instinctively, for fun, dumped it over his head, and that <laughs> began that tradition. 90 seconds. I know. I, I got lost for a second.
3: <laughs> Will ask it next
5: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: 8 o'clock hours underway on a gorgeous Monday in Indianapolis. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program, Mark Dighton, flying the ship for us. It is the amazingly outside-the-box-named Kevin & Query program here on 93.5 107.5 The Fan. Joining us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline, you hear, hear him on excuse me PGA Golf Radio. He, of course, also will be hosting on this radio station today from noon until 3 with Jimmy Cook. Will Haskett joins us. And, Will, we were talking about this earlier. You know, I think there were two ways to look at yesterday. One would be, I don't know if I would call it necessarily... I think Kevin disagreed with me a little bit here. I wouldn't say it was a collapse by Brooks Kepka as much as more just an incredibly ill timed inconsistency. But I thought John Rahm was just incredibly consistent down the stretch of, as Jim Nance called it, a marathon day. Um, and obviously a very deserved champion yesterday.
6: John Rahm did what John Rahm does. I mean, he's been the best player in the world this year up until the last three or four weeks. He didn't really have his best stuff over the last month, but had sort of played with a chip on his shoulder at the beginning of the calendar year and and found that chip again. I mean, four putts, the first hole he plays on Thursday, you know, is two over out of the gate and then without a doubt had the worst draw of the field in terms of the weather. I mean, he, he was with that group that, you know, had to kind of fight through it on Friday, start and stop and then restart again and play the most golf on Saturday. And I think we've had a disadvantage there, but just does what he does. Like John Rahm's not going to shoot a lot of 60s and 61s. He just shoots a crap ton of 66s and does them, you know, in four straight rounds, you know, in PGA tour events, and just continue to show that consistency, that grind, hit shots is never really out of it, has all the tools in the bag. He's a 14 club player. I can go down the line of all sorts of, you know, golf idioms there to describe him, but, yeah, he got some help. I think, you know, Brooks Kepka hadn't lost a major when leading after 54 holes. And he did yesterday and just didn't look himself. Couldn't find fairways, which is that's hard to do. It's It's hard to miss a lot of fairways on that golf course. He missed a lot of fairways, didn't look good around the greens, and just looked off for the first time all week. And that made things a little bit easier for John Uh, Down the stretch, because there were so many birdie opportunities on the back, all he had to do was keep the ball in play, and he was going to win that golf tournament.
2: Well, it's interesting. We were talking a little bit earlier, and I shared the Tim Mickelson story. You know, Phil's brother, John Rahm's college coach, who quit at Arizona State to become John's caddy initially out of college. I thought that was some irony when you look at where Phil finished yesterday. But when you think about Rahm, here's this you know bit of a fiery Spaniard. You know, certainly wears his emotions, not afraid to complain about a bad shot. He has the look of a guy that just you know hit at 350 but in a way he's just so steady in all facets of his game and I I find that to be kind of the methodical borderline boring approach to how he plays golf of it's a bit robotic like even though he has some aspects to him again from his emotion and just from his size that you would think he doesn't play the game in the style that he does if that makes sense
6: Yeah, we gravitate towards players that have what I always refer to as like a superpower. So Rory Mm -hmm. McIlroy might be the greatest driver of the golf ball ever. I mean, equipment or no equipment, like what he does off the tee is, is amazing. Jordan Spieth, generational short game player of the last 10 years. I mean, what he can do around the greens and then sometimes on the greens is incredible. And John's numbers speak to the fact that he's an elite driver of the golf ball. I think he's top five on tour right now. And In driving, he's top ten typically every year in strokes gained approach, which is how we measure guys in terms of iron play. But he never gets the accolades that say Colin Morikawa does for how good his irons is because he's the guy that's typically number one or Justin Thomas or somebody like that. But here's John Rahm, who's ranked in the top twenty in probably all of those statistical categories I just mentioned. But because he doesn't do one at some sort of textbook level, you know, we don't, we don't put all around greatness on a pedestal. Sometimes the way we put individual skill on a pedestal, cause it's easier to sort of look at that. And I, I think that's the way I kind of, uh, I look at it with John Rahm is he's you know on the short list and is probably leading the short list of the best all around player in golf and to a nuanced golf fan, uh, you know that doesn't. It's not as sexy, right? But I mean, if if it's somebody who's just coming into golf, they're like, "Well, that makes sense. Of course, he's the best all-around player." It's just you don't get to say about one thing. You know, it's harder to talk about John Rom in crazy superlatives because there are other guys that maybe do one particular skill a little bit better than him. But when it comes to everything, when it comes to winning, especially now at the last couple of years, John Rahm's
2: the best. Okay, Will Haskett is with us. You're going to hear him from noon to three today. He's going to go host alongside Jimmy Cook, pj 2 Radio for Will. Um, the Mickelson story, I mean, 65 yesterday, it's the highest finish ever in a Masters by someone over the age of 50. I believe it tied the low round he's ever had yep. at Augusta National. I thought a wild stat that I saw yesterday that really put it into into perspective what Phil did Imagine John Rahm finishing second at the 2047 Masters. That's what yeah. Phil Mickelson just did. I am a of natural Phil hater. Will I can't ignore that story. That is absolutely incredible what he just did because this is a guy that was playing uh, horrific golf on the Live Golf Tour
6: terrible golf I again mean, oh yeah, now this is a golf course where experience truly matters he's built for that place to be a left-handed player is an advantage around Augusta National all of the knowledge that he has you know it's the reason why Fred couples makes the cut at 63 years old also this week is you know smaller field you know, course fit course history understanding those greens matter but then for him to go out and shoot the round of the day on Sunday to match his career low there. It was phenomenal for him to turn it back. And I've witnessed two of probably the best major performances of my lifetime from Phil Nicholson in the last two years. I mean, what he did to win the PGA Championship two years ago, they should write books about it. I mean, there's, and that's a different conversation for a different day, but he taught us so much about mental strength and psychology that week. In his approach to try and beat guys younger than him and arguably better than him to win a major championship past the age of 50. We should be celebrating these two performances from Phil, but there's so much black cloud around the last 24 months or so for him or less than that, you know, 18 months in his world. It, it's just so strange. You know, he didn't do a one-on-one with Amanda Balionis yesterday after the round. He did sit down in the media room and talk to some folks, so there's some sound out there, but he was you know he declined a lot of media access this past week Uh, it's it was good to see him smile those patrons there are always going to give respectful applause to every golfer every year that they play it's it's not a place where you're going to hear the crowd really getting on players so it's a safe space for him Uh, but i hate the fact that we have to almost put an asterisk by his pga championship win and then this week because, not an asterisk in the record books, but just sort of an asterisk in our mind because of everything else. I mean, it's, it's really crazy because it should be getting more attention than it gets, but there's just so much scar tissue around the last 18 months with Phil Mickelson that I just don't think we will respect it as much as it probably should be because it was a remarkable performance. It was, there's no doubt about that.
1: It's so funny to me how, I, I mean, I'll just throw a number out, 15 years ago, you know tiger woods was like the this elite champion but like had this stoic impermeable almost dislike about him because of this perceived arrogance and phil mickelson was like the kind of the happy guy next door you know antithesis of that and that's completely flipped you know now phil mickelson's a guy nobody likes and tiger woods is the one that's like this sympathetic character that people are like oh he's a nice guy you know what i mean like Maybe that's a little extreme, but it seems like the no, two right. roles have reversed. But, Will, I'm curious. I wanted your input on this. The weather at Augusta, with with everything that took place on Saturday, did that in any way, shape, or form slow down the course and bring the course into the game of a, of, of a name or two that might have finished in the top 10, top 12, where it was actually to their advantage how the course might have changed and come to them a little bit?
6: You know, I mean, given how the leaderboard played out, probably not, Jake. I mean, I thought that the golf course really responded nicely yesterday. I mean, it was always going to be soft in the fairways, but I thought the greens had just a a little bit of fire in them, given how much rain they took on Saturday. It was really more just a mental battle. I mean, to be wearing three layers and to just take an absolute beating from the elements on Saturday, it was really going to kind of boil down to, you know, who could play. I I think the worst, I would say the best, worst weather player Is Matt Fitzpatrick, and he sort of rose to the top of it. I mean, he just has an ability to grind through it, and just sort of lends itself to a guy that just grinds on every shot. And you saw him make a little bit of a run up the board on Saturday in the worst of those conditions. So if there was one guy that maybe you had an edge there, but you know, I I knew it was going to be bad conditions for a guy like Sam Bennett because now he's fighting a bunch of other different things, and not only with the the spotlight on him as being an amateur who you know had a chance and was in contention in the final group going into the weekend, but and no, I don't, I, look, the best players in the world who are playing the best sort of found their way near the top of that leaderboard when it was all said and done. And that's kind of what the Masters has given us over the last decade is you really can't fake it showing up and then fake it all the way to the finish line. So really, with the exception of Phil Mickelson finding form, but again, doing it as somebody who you expect to always play well on that golf course, I didn't really think the weather impacted the final result as much as it did just make a, just a miserable Saturday for people to play golf. I mean, that was, That was hard to watch. I broadcast in a lot of bad conditions, and that one was one of the worst for people to have to walk around and try and play golf in on Saturday.
2: It's like stunning to walk outside here Saturday and be like, wait, why is this weather happening in central Indiana? And that's what we're seeing uh, down in Augusta, Georgia. Again, Will Haskett with us. You're going to hear him from noon to 3 today. He'll be in with Jimmy Cook. Uh, well, on the live golf front, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka all finishing the top four. I think they were the only three in the top sixteen from live, but still, three in the top four. I did not expect at the start of the week. How would you grade the week for the live golfers?
6: Uh, you know, individually speaking, I think you have to look at it on a case by case basis. I mean, I thought Brooks Kepka was on the short list of guys that could win that golf tournament because he showed some fire, he showed some health, and we know what he can do in majors. Uh, you know, it has not been, I would say, great form from either Patrick Reed or Phil Mickelson. But again, they've got kind of, they've got course equity. So I wasn't surprised to see guys at the top. I mean, you had 18 live players at the beginning of the week in an 87-man field with, what, a dozen plus of those guys being, you know, past champions over the age of 50 and a whole bunch of amateurs. So the law of averages sort of dictated that you were going to have some guys near the top. it. No matter how you want to frame it, it was either a good or a bad week for Live, depending on which side of the fence you sit on. And I, there's been a lot of really good clickbait headlines from some major golf publications out there to talk about it one way or the other. When it's all said and done, and I don't think it matters. I think it's, I think it's all noise at this point. Um, the way I measure it is the simple fact that it was a, it was a great tournament with incredible drama from a variety of different places. And the only way we can ever see something like that happen again is three other tournaments the rest of the year. That's it. The only time the rest of the year we're ever going to see Brooks and Phil and Patrick Reed and anybody else from Live playing in the same field as John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, and everybody. And that's just a loss for everybody. That's a loss for golf fans. That's a loss for sports fans. I don't know. I don't know what the future of live is. If they want to keep spending money, they can, and maybe this week bolsters them to you know to open up the checkbook and maybe buy a few more players this year. There was some scuttlebutt that they you know were trying to pinch pennies a little bit because they would, haven't been happy with the return on their investment. But if this is enough to say, hey, let's go, let's push, let's figure it out, then you know maybe this war keeps going. And, and keep in mind, the week started with a really bad court. Uh, two bad court cases on Liv's behalf. They lost a court battle in Europe, and they also got a real scolding from a judge out in California in their lawsuits against the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour. So it got off to a bad week in court, but it ended up in a really good way in on the golf course. But I'm to the point now where, as someone who covers golf for a living, it's a loss right now because we're going to a designated event this week at Hilton Head as the PGA Tour sort of adjusted it. So all the best players in the PGA Tour are playing again this week, sort of capitalizing on the run at the Masters. But Brooks won't be there. Phil won't be there um, because of this split. And it's just unfortunate.
2: Your favorite non-ROM Phil storyline from this Masters?
6: Um, boy, that's a great question. I, the, the, everybody getting to know Sam Bennett was was really cool. Um yeah, you know, I, I don't like how. I feel it bad him, he didn't I mean, get so. top twelve. Will. Yeah, top twelve, and you know he's going to turn professional here in a couple of, you know, a couple of months or you know, a month and a half after the NCAA championships are over with. And it would have been really cool to know that you've got to start at Augusta next year as a pro. Top twelve so would have been that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a little bit of a deflating one for him, but for everybody get to know his story and get that tattoo on TV and understand what he went through with his dad and just sort of see the fire that he played with. I know when I came on last week, I was. I was bullish on Gordon Sargent whose short game was abysmal last week and Sam Bennett was a guy that can just will the ball in the hole. So I love just sort of seeing his guts and flair kind of out there for everybody to see.
1: Hey, Will, which which aspect of golf, actually for either one of you guys, but I'm not talking about for the weekend warriors, but at the professional level, do you find that when guys get into, when they get the equivalent of golf yips, right? So like, You know, in baseball, you see it. Steve Sachs couldn't throw to first for a season. Or guys go into a hitting slump. In golf, oftentimes, you have guys either that, you know, one of three things. They're unbelievable drivers, John Daly. They're unbelievable approach guys with their second shot. Or they're they're great short game putters. Which one is most prone to psychological slumps?
6: The The putter. I mean, whenever anybody loses it inside of five feet, that's the
1: that's well. But but I mean, do you see a guy that's like a master at the short game? Does he have does he have a psychological slump more than players at other area of other strengths? Is what I'm getting at.
6: Um, I mean, the putter is the most inconsistent club in everybody's bag, but I, I, I guess you would say the best putters in the world when they lose it, it's it's kind of crazy to see because how can something that's that simple, you know, making five-footers, you know, how when you lose that ability to take the putter back, I think that's the one that we sort of gravitate, gravitate to more than guys that have the full driver yet. I mean, we've seen guys – in recent past who can't take the club back who literally stand on the tee and, and freeze for 15 20 seconds like best players in the world and they can't figure out how to take it back because they're so paralyzed by bad swing thoughts but now there's nothing worse than you know watching a guy shove a three-footer and realize he's going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it so that to me is probably the most compelling mental breakdown you see and jordan Spieth battled that i mean Jordan, I don't think we've still fully gotten back to 100% believing every three-footer that Jordan speed strikes these days.
2: Will Zalatoris certainly would fall into oh, that God. group, too. Oh, I'm a present-day guy that, boy, I start sweating immediately when he has a three-footer. All right, Will, last one. Um, waited till the end to get a Tiger question in. The PGA Championship is next. It's in New York next month. I would say the weather could be a bit dicey. Um, as weird as it sounds, I think Mother Nature is a huge thing for Tiger at this yeah. point in his career. So I would like to see him skip the PGA, potentially give it a go at the U.S. Open in L.A. in June and then uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The British Open is that Liverpool where Tiger won. Yes. Okay, so maybe maybe give it a go there. Um, how do you view the rest of uh, Tiger's 2023 season?
6: Yeah, I mean, obviously all health dependent. I mean, the plantar fasciitis really you know dug in and got him on Saturday, and yeah, I guess extended weather forecast for Rochester is what we'll be looking at to see if he wants to play the PGA um i think he had hopes of being able to play even more than just the majors so does he make an appearance at memorial if his body is a go in may before the u.s open like i I don't know i mean i think that there's there's hope for all of that but i was i was thinking about you kevin last week after i came on and i was watching all the press conferences um tiger warmed up on thursday and talked last week like a man who knows that I mean, I, even his hopes of playing in these tournaments seem like it's sort of dashing right now. Yeah, agreed. In terms of it, and he's and he's still got it out making the cut, which is incredible. So, I'm going to say right now it's probably fifty fifty that he tees it up next month. Um, but I, you know, two weeks out when we look at the weather, if it's going to be you know mid fifties and a chance of rain every day, and that place is going to be you know soft with all of that grass on that golf course. I'd say that you know, then I'd probably lean towards not playing, but I, I think right now his goal is to play at least in all the majors, and if he can just get that foot to cooperate a little bit. But did you see Jason Day has come? I don't know if Jason Day was supposed to let the cat out of the back. Yeah, can today, you share that? That was wild. Holy cow. So they're talking to him after the round about just you know the perspective of Tiger and feeling bad for him, and obviously Jason Day has had his own injuries, and Day just kind of lets it slip. that Tiger told him that last year at the PGA Championship one of the screws that's holding his right leg together actually punctured through his skin and that's what sort of forced the withdrawal. So he was playing with the oh I mean, holy cow. I mean you think of I was calling every single shot last year at the PGA Championship, watching him gutted out in absolute agony. So again, he, he would not indicate he smiled last week and said, I'm not gonna tell you how much hardware is in my right leg, but some of that hardware came a little bit loose last year at the PGA Championship, at least according to Jason Day yesterday. Um, so we kind of know what Tiger's dealing with when he's hobbled around out there and things slip a little bit on him.
1: You know, in 20 – what did you say? For John Rom to do what Phil Mickelson did yesterday, it'll be the 20 – what did you say, like 47 I thought it was, all, it was 2047, yeah. yeah. So you do realize, Will, in the 2047 Masters, you're going to be – I mean, I'm going to be long gone, but you're going to be doing – a show with Kevin and Kevin's going to say now let's talk about Tiger do you think that he's I mean yes. it's 76 does he have a shot here how many PGA's is he going to get this year it's going to be you, you know guys what? people will it, will wonder that for be a 30 years. it ceremonial tee shot Tiger that'll be Tiger and Phil doing the ceremonial tee
6: shots on <laughs> Thursday morning at Augusta I mean can you imagine? I'm just wondering Jack didn't look his best Gary's still going I don't know who our bridge ceremonial tee shot guys are I mean we got Tom Watson out there right now but can you, you throw you Crenshaw on there? Before, How about I mean, Fuzzy? Yeah, What's Fuzzy doing? Yeah, Fuzzy could do it, I guess. Couples. I Crenshaw. mean, whenever Fred whenever Fred hangs it up, Ben will do it. Yeah, that's a, those, are, those are good ones. Ben Crenshaw, and then probably into the Freddy generation, and then down to Phil and Tiger eventually, I think.
2: Yeah, the old punctured screw through the skin, boy, I you know, I've definitely hard to
6: play golf with. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm trying to think, you know, when I put Max's crib together a few months ago, I'm like, you know what, that screw doesn't look like it's totally correct, but I can't imagine one uh, jutting out of the skin. Um, Yeah, he needs to not play in the PGA Championship. Will, have enjoyed the conversations last week and again today, we'll be listening noon to 3. Awesome, thanks guys. Will Haskett, right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. I still find it amazing that John Rahm is the first European to win the Masters and the U.S. Open.
1: Yeah, that's... I mean, you would think... Who, who else would you put in that? Well, I mean, certainly Sebi, Sergio Garcia, you would Sebi think. Seve
2: Ballesteros would have been the first one right. that I would have thought of. And then second would have been Nick Faldo.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm surprised that we're not more. Uh, somebody else pointed this out, and I agree. I'll put this to you in trivia form, Kevin. Uh, yesterday, Spain won its sixth Masters, right? Yep. That breaks a record. The United States has 63 Masters titles. Mm-hmm. There was a two-way tie for second, five wins each between Spain and one other country. Spain now all alone in second with six. What other nation had five?
2: Well, I think Will just said a guy that is probably a big reason why. That would be Gary Player. That would got to be South Africa. Correct.
1: South Africa with five is second. It's surprising that England does not have more.
2: Yeah. Again, is Faldo the main one there? Obviously, Rory hasn't gotten it done. But would Roy be Northern Ireland or England? Charles Schwartzel for South Africa? Who's the other one?
1: I'll have to look here. I was looking it up yesterday down the home stretch when it was pretty clear that Ron was going to win. You uh, got into it, it sounds like. I mean, I watch the Masters every year. It's not like I'm, I'm not like some anti golf guy, you know? Um, But like when I was talking earlier about the live golf and PGA and all of that, and I was saying that like the transcendent. You know the passerby golf fan, the four time a year golf fan, is like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I get it now. There's two different leagues, whatever. And somebody just sent us a tweet that was like, "Oh, I was playing Golden Tee yesterday with a bunch of diehard fans, and we were totally keeping track of what the Live versus PGA." And I'm, I get it for the for the people that are like diehards. I totally get it. You know, but it, I'm talking about for those that are just passerbys england by the way has four uh did you say which ones are english well faldo uh schwarzel south africa as you mentioned and then uh, uh i saw trevor Emmelman was the other one right? uh, will it will it's english yep um faldo has three and then who did you say was the other one
2: well i i'm trying to think does ian Woosnam qualify or is that wales he's wales and sandy um, lyle would be scottish he wouldn't qualify by the way mark sandy lyle tough finish
3: it's the lack of suspenders that did
2: it. In the acronym DFL, I believe, mm-hmm. is what Sandy Lyle. God, I can you can Google that on that end. Yeah, D. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay.
1: Dead bleeping mm-hmm. last. That's a big racing term, by the way. Did you find it- Ed Carpenter a big fan of that term? Did you? <laughs> I'm serious. He says it all the time. Like, in, <laughs> like if the car, I'm not saying. I'm saying like he uses that term a lot. If he's if he got doesn't it. like the way the car's running.
2: Do you find it ironic at all, Jake? That three times and. In- major history has a player got to 12 under through two rounds and not gone on to win and those three would be greg norman twice and brooks kepko once (laughs) i you know greg norman
1: of course the right president overseas live no i think anytime that's why i think it's so funny it's kind of like the masters is kind of like the ncaa tournament since we're just coming off the tournament and the fact that You have these incredible upsets early, you know, Furman over Virginia, you know, and then as we talk about, then they play one shining moment and you're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that shot. And that was two weeks ago. And in golf with the Masters, oftentimes you get super excited after like round one or halfway through round one when some guy gets out to a blistering start. Then by the time Sunday comes around, you're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that guy was four under, you know, I mean, it's a long tournament, man.
2: And again, when you have the weather delays, that probably adds to it. Um, But boy, John Rahm for not on the right side of the weather draw to be down four at this time yesterday and to win by four. uh, Quite impressive, but I still think a bit of a joke job from old Brooks Koepka. Lynn Dunn going to join us at 9 o'clock. She's got the number one pick tonight for the Indiana Fever. We'll chat with her about that. Deontay Lee, NFL Draft Analyst for The Athletic at 945. Boy, it seems like you scour mock drafts right now, and it is like Anthony Richardson to the Colts almost everyone so we'll chat with him about that coming up to round out the show uh, for now let's do a morning check down Jake let's begin with the Pacers their season is complete 35-47 and 47. they did beat the Knicks yesterday so their tank spot uh, went down just a little bit they're in tie for 7th that'll be decided by a coin flip to see the exactly where they'll fall, 7th or 8th, depending on the ping-pong balls coming up next month. Again, a 10-win improvement from last season. Yesterday, was Benedict Mather in pacing Indiana with 26 points. Um, he got to the foul line 13 times, and I thought the most important stat for him, a season high, 6 assists. Definitely an area where he needs to tap into more in year two.
1: Uh, Jordan Wara with 19, and we talked about you know Nimhard 19, <laughs> Now it's a, a matter, Kevin, of the Pacers figuring out. You know they they got a lot a lot of draft picks, but not a lot of roster openings. So where do you make room for that? O'Shea Brissett, by the way, the one free agent um, that yeah, they figure out what they want to do with picks, them.
2: draft picks: three in the first, two in the second. Four of those five will get decided on coin flips. Exactly where they'll fall in the
1: draft order. Okay, th- I'm going to throw you guys this one question because it's always tricky. Because yesterday, like the entire league sat. Leading scorer yesterday in the NBA was Mark. Oh, boy. (laughs) Let's go Shaden Sharp. DeMar DeRozan. It looks like we got a two-way tie here. DeMar DeRozan you went with? Mm -hmm. Uh, Shaden Sharp is a really good guess. I think that he rested, didn't he? Because, I mean, it was a tough, like, 14-game season for him. Um, Kenneth Lofton Jr., household name, 42 points and 14 rebounds. Are you kidding me? Yesterday. Are you yeah. to
2: Chris Lofton, former tennis here,
1: and well, is Kenneth Lofton Jr. Is that is the son Kenny? of yeah. Kenny Lofton? Do we know? It's a Gary native. Brandon right? Ingram, forty-two points and twelve rebounds yesterday as well for New Orleans.
2: Uh, so the playing games coming up on Tuesday: Heat and Hawks, Lakers and Timberwolves. The winner of that will take on their respective two seeds. And then the next night it'll be Bulls and Raptors, Thunder and Pelicans. Those two. Games will be playing to keep their seasons alive. This
1: Kenneth Lofton Jr. looks kind of like Sean. Ma- he's a he's a little chubby fella. Is this right? Was he a Tennessee
2: guy, or am I imagining a different guy?
1: Maybe I'm imagining. Uh, Green he is Louisiana Tech. He went undrafted. Played in the G League. Now I do know that his dad's name is Kenneth Lofton. But yes, I, I he have... looks like he could be a left tackle for the Colts. <laughs> <place. laughs> I know he's a he's a little doughy guy, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at him here, 6'6", 275. You have 42. Played for Louisiana Tech, okay.
2: Before we get the rundown on Major League Baseball, the best baseball feat of the weekend, and honestly, probably in a long time, happened at University of Indianapolis on Friday. That would be Brady Ware. The grad transfer had a no-hitter on the mound. Uh, thank you to Alex, by the way, in the YouTube chat. He said when you play conference games and in Indies. conference now Uh,
1: what are the odds of this this kenneth lofton fella his dad worked for the postal service so it's not the same but kenneth lofton went to louisiana tech which is the same as carl malone who was the mailman now what are the odds of that
2: in u conference the middle games (laughs) games two and three are actually just seven innings long so brady ware on the mound a complete game no hitter uh walked five batters but had 11 strikeouts he also in the same game hit for the cycle unbelievable no hitter and hit for the cycle 4 for 4 5 RBIs for the Poway, California product
1: absolutely I mean how is that not like he should have been the I mean I don't know I don't watch sports center but he should have been like the lead on it
2: right I, I do think he got some national notoriety I mean like for what he did. in the
1: old days he'd have been on Letterman I mean that's unbelievable
2: yeah absolutely incredible from him uh Major League Baseball wise Tampa Bay Rays they're 9 and 0
1: My cousin's all fired up.
2: I saw tied the best start Major League Baseball's had in two decades. She's like,
1: World Series. I'm like, well, it's a long season, but okay.
2: Trisha Whitaker, Rick Venturi, and Dick Vitale storming the field after each (laughs) one. That's right. Uh, Yesterday, around the... Along
1: with the 17 people in the stands.
2: From a local sense, Cubs lose to the uh, Rangers. White Sox lost to the Pirates. Reds did beat the Phillies. Tigers are playing pretty bad ball, per usual. Swept by the Red Sox. Guardians did win and 12 over the Mariners Cardinals disappointing start to well, the season Man, and funny. the Indianapolis Indians started 0 4 since then they've won 5 in a row and they have an unbelievable weather week at home with St. Paul coming up
1: this guy had 42 look at him now be honest i want either one of you to tell me have, had either one of you guys heard of Kenneth Lofton Jr until 15 minutes ago no i'd be lying to you, <laughs> Are you i mean if you look at
2: Don't the Grizzlies just, like, have guys like this?
1: I mean, it's, again, it's that time of year where you're like, okay, well, you know, is he legitimately a 42-14 and guy? Not that, obviously, but is he an NBA player? I I don't know. That's impressive. That's very impressive.
2: Uh, All right, we come back. We'll chat uh, about the Pacers. They round out their season. Again, 10-win improvement from last year. How would you define this year for Indiana? And then coming up at 9 o'clock, it will be Lynn Dunn joining us and some NFL draft chatter at 9.45 with Deontay Lee from The Athletic.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: Uh, This song, by the way, Janis Joplin, native of Port Arthur, Texas, same high school as Jimmy Johnson and Steven Jackson, the former Pacer. That would be Memorial High School in Port Arthur, Texas. Also produced, Kenneth Lofton Jr who had 42 and 14 yesterday and I'd never heard of until 15 minutes ago Uh, by the way Cam Thomas did have and I apologize 46 for the Brooklyn Nets that dude's never met a shot he didn't like either gosh
2: I remember watching him a little bit green light to the nth degree there
1: did you see Steven Jackson the former Pacer um, doing a podcast with Isaiah Thomas and Isaiah Thomas like kind of interjects and says you know I'm the one that got you that saved your career and Steven Jackson's like, what? And Isaiah Thomas said, yeah, I'm the one that went in and talked to David Stern to get you reinstated. And Jackson's like, oh, okay, like, that's cool. And Steven Jackson, you could tell, was kind of like taken aback, like, what? Um, and Steven Jackson said, well, when that all went down, I only had conversation with, I think he said three people. And he did say Isaiah because Isaiah is sitting right next to him. He's like, well, one was Zeke here. And then he said, and then Al Harrington and Donnie Walsh are the only people I talked to during that time period. And Isaiah gets that like Isaiah grin on his face and is like, yeah, I saved your career, man. I'm the one that went into I walked right into David Stern's office and said, you got to reinstate him. Hmm. Um,
2: I always thought the punishments for not to get down a rabbit hole. I always thought the punishments were a bit extreme. for. Well,
1: I don't disagree with that. Um, maybe for Jackson it wasn't as much because he wasn't instigated like he went in Yeah, I mean right. I totally get it and I love I love Stephen Jackson love him um, however I will tell you I was not obviously privy to being there in New York City when Isaiah Thomas went in there but if I had to put my if I had to wager on that I would say that that story by Isaiah Thomas is grossly 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 embellished and inaccurate but that wouldn't be the first for Isaiah Thomas for what that's worth
2: I guess a very loose connection on that end. You see Dusty May, 10-year deal from FAU?
1: I wonder how long... um,
2: You think we already have a pigs.com topic on, hey, his buyout here after year three
1: is this? Yeah, I mean, you would imagine that there are probably big outs in that, right? Now, they moved to the American, is that right? This coming Um, year? Is it American or Conference USA? What are they in right now? I think now? they were in conference USA. Then, then that—that's right. Then yeah, they're moving. They're moving. What? The
2: Americans got all the teams going to the Big Twelve. Correct. They're 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 American is Houston's conference. Okay. Um, it sounds like they're going to bring back pretty much everyone. And Jake, I know we're going to have this storyline next year. You know, if and when they have great success, comparing it to Butler's second run, you
1: or know, do they become George Mason?
2: Right. I, I, again, just assuming that they whatever have good regular season and you know entering the tournament, you know people will have that storyline. I mean, Butler lost a top ten pick, and then went to the title game the next year. You know, Florida Atlantic's not gonna have right. that. Like I, I think we lose sight of how absolutely incredible Butler's second run was, of not having Gordon Hayward. And yet still doing it. I mean, Florida Atlantic, I don't know. I don't think there was a lottery pick on their roster. But their continuity will be much more than Butler had from year one to
1: year two. I I was thinking about this this morning, Kevin. Because the law of averages says it's going to be one of the two. Okay? Ten years from now, will we remember the 2023 Final Four as the Florida Atlantic Final Four or the San Diego State Final Four? And tw- 10 years from now, is the trivia question of who was the fourth member of that Final Four going to be rack brain, rack brain, rack brain? Oh, I totally forgot about San Diego State or Florida Atlantic.
2: Well, I, I think the answer to the second question will be Miami, um, who will be the fourth team. I think they will be the outlier of that, the that, Final that Four. That may be. Because San Diego State had the game winner Yeah, to, to get to the title game. Um, As far as just FAU or San Diego State, definitely FAU in my mind. Yeah, we will remember that story more. But I think the fact they had the game winner and it was a true buzzer beater, the only one we got all tournament long, I think over time Miami will be the one that you just forget. Partly because it's Miami basketball.
1: You know, it's interesting that, and, and I know it was the COVID year, The two shots to me in college basketball, and we'll get to the Pacers here in a second. The two shots to me in college basketball that are interesting, and maybe this is an age bias, but if you stopped, maybe if you asked a lot of people, like you know, what team won the NCAA title on a last-second dunk, and their coach was running around frantically looking for someone to hug. I think most people remember that was Valvano in Carolina State, partially because of Jimmy V week and all that kind of thing. Around here, you know, everyone remembers Keith Smart. But but again, that's Indiana. But I don't know, if you stopped the average American on the street and said, okay, what team in the last 10 years won the national championship on a pull-up three as the horn sounded? How many people even remember Chris Jenkins hitting that shot for Villanova? And more so... And this one, I know it was the COVID year, and it was an and that it just was a totally that that changes everything. But one of the most remarkable shots in one of the most remarkable games in Final Four history was the Jalen Sugg shot that yeah. sent Gonzaga past UCLA, and I feel like no one remembers that.
2: I think what hurts that one is that Gonzaga gets smoked in the title game. Fair, and the undefeated season is done. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to your point about Jenkins, I, I felt like we saw a whole lot of it this year just because it was the first Final Four back in Houston since then. And we talk, maybe this is more locally, we talk so much about how bad that Butler UConn title game was in Houston. The next time it was in that arena, North Carolina Villanova had one of the greatest offensive efforts you'll ever see in a title game. Both those teams were over 50% from three in that championship game. And obviously, UConn. Had a pretty nice night there a week ago. Did you see Purdue got a transfer over the weekend?
1: Um, I did see that, I- and they were they were one, Kevin, interestingly enough, that seemingly has been less involved in the portal, right?
2: Yeah, and I guess now the question is, like, is this it? That, you know, Brandon Newman entered the transfer portal, Lance Jones from Southern Illinois transferring to Purdue. Um, you know, the resume is interesting. It, Sounds like a really good defensive player in the Missouri Valley. 6 um, 1 guard, pretty good athlete. You look at his three point numbers, extremely streaky. He was just 28% last year and he shot a ton of threes. Uh, he was much better earlier in his career when he wasn't shooting as many threes. Obviously, he's not going to be asked to walk into West Lafayette and chuck eight threes a game, especially if Zach Eady does indeed return. But um, definitely checks the athlete box. It sounds like, but pretty streaky shooter, and we'll see. Just you know, can he be a guard for you off the dribble? I don't, you know, I don't know. Average thir- thirteen a game in the MoVal each of the last three years. So we'll see how that projects. Purdue has not had. They haven't needed. They haven't needed to use the portal really much at all. When they've used it, don't think they've felt great impact. But again, they've just pretty much recruited to the point where their core guys are mostly them.
1: Towards the weekend last week, Kalel Ware—I hope I'm saying that correctly—who was a five-star, you know, top ten Ballyhood recruit from Or— from actually from Arkansas that went to Oregon last year, uh, averaged six and a half points, four rebounds, and one block per game for the Ducks. Kind of fell out of favor, allegedly over work ethic or lack thereof. A seven-footer um, with a versatile skill set. He's in the portal. He was in Bloomington over the weekend. And I saw like all the IU fans are like, you know, going crazy. Here we go. Load up. You know, Woody on the prowl. If that's what you want to do and you want IU basketball to just be picking up guys that were cast offs, five star recruits elsewhere and and developing them, sure, that's cool. But I, I would think that. There has to be an envy over programs that are doing it. The portal, I, I get it. I mean, the portal is here to stay. I totally get it. And Indiana's going to need to dip into it for certain. Yeah, they have no choice, Jake. But it, they do, but right that's, a, that's a dangerous way to live, man.
2: Uh, I think his decision is coming tomorrow, if I saw that correctly. Is he going to do
1: a cap dance and everybody? And then, like, fat guys in, in candy striped pants can, like, do videos dancing and smoking cigars on the internet, and all excited because he's coming. Are those the who's your hysterics you were referencing actually no I remember when um Deron Davis remember Deron Davis yeah when Colorado Deron, dude when Deron Davis made his announcement and committed for Indiana he was like a top 25 recruit in Denver there's some guy that went to IU that lived in Denver that like put on like his full candy stripe sweatsuit and videotaped himself like driving to the high school and like awesome. showed up showed up at the high school in the cafeteria there's like all these kids sitting in the cafeteria and, like who's this guy yeah i'm here for the salisbury steak he had a he had a he had a flag and everything and like the, so Daron davis announces and you yeah, know he's he chocolate milk he's just hoping to have like his 12 high school best friends and teammates there and like his teacher and then there's just some some guy in the back wearing pajamas going who 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 who's yours it's <laughs> like what is going on here yeah it was very awkward um, a bobcat there so the pacers yesterday did they hurt or help themselves
2: uh, i was gonna sneak this in because we did mention this uh last week you see valpo got a new coach and, and a guy that i actually recognize we asked rake about this on friday remember roger Powell? yeah from those illinois teams that's their new coach uh it was a gonzaga assistant most recently was at valpo with bryce true um a little bit earlier in his coaching career Gonzaga's had a pretty good international pipeline. We'll see Valpokan.
1: They have had a good international pipeline. And they've been a good program, but it's obviously falling. And Again, they right. are in the Missouri Valley as
2: well. They've made that transition. has not gone successful for them. We will talk some Pacers on the other side. Lynn Dunn coming up at 9 o'clock. Kevin Aquari right here on a absolutely gorgeous
1: Monday. Kevin, the Pacers win puts them at tentatively 7th in the lottery lineup, if you will. Yeah, the odds. Yeah, the odds for the number one overall pick or a top four pick, whatever it may be. Um, and they, they're going to have... I think it's a really interesting point that you brought up earlier. I, I mean, it's it's a good problem to have, but and problem is maybe the wrong word, but there is a challenge in trying to figure out where you free up space if you're going to use all of the assets you have in your roster building for next year if you're going to use all those picks to build with you know who do you where do you make the the room on the roster
2: yeah they don't need quantity anymore they need high-end quality Um, high-end quality over quantity is what they need right now and I think kind of completing this puzzle um, three first-round picks. Again, two is going to be in the 20s. Two of those picks in the 20s, and then one, you know, whatever, seventh, eighth, if they get lucky, like a lot of teams have recently that have had the seventh-best lottery odds, it could be much higher. But to me, that's the biggest piece they have to get to. Um, I'm not surprised by this, Jake, but it is such a different feeling for how we talk about the NBA team in this market. The Pacers just won 35 games. If you look at recent Pacers history, Jake, that's one of the worst seasons they've had. 35 wins in the last, whatever, dozen years. It's one of the worst. Yet, find me a time they've entered the offseason where the fan base has had this much optimism. I know. And maybe it's more curiosity than optimism, but I do think it is a lot of intrigue and a lot of like, hey, I think there's something there. I think we've got something here. Now... Let me make this very clear. Jake, it's now what? Is it eight straight years without a playoff series win? I think it's five straight years without just a win at all in the playoffs. Remember, they got swept in the most recent series when they've been in the postseason. So when you think about that, you know, whatever, eight or nine straight years without a playoff win, it's been five uh, playoff series wins, that is. It's been five years without any sort of win in the postseason. This time next year we need to be talking about the Pacers in a playoff series. Like you, you you have the lottery pick this year. Again, I think you try and package the late first-rounders if you can, move even higher up in the lottery. But when we look at an Eastern Conference bracket next year, the Pacers need to be in it, and they need to not be in the play-in, in my opinion. I think you need to be in that four, five, six range, experience what postseason basketball is all about, and then from there, you've got a young core that hopefully you can grow with, and they can experience deeper playoff runs.
1: The the picks that they have, I, I look. They if you look at last year, Kevin, I think Andrew Nimhardt is a guy that is going to be in your rotation for a long time, and I think he exceeded expectation. You know, Kevin Pritchard said at the beginning of the season, it's like, look, Nimhart is good, and I remember thinking, like, come on, man, and then. He absolutely there were times Matherin is the better player of the two, but Nimhard might have been the more consistent. And I know that sounds crazy when comparing him to a guy that was averaging 18 points a game, but but with Nimhard, you just knew what you were getting night in and night out. I mean he had some off nights, I guess, but just a solid player that you don't that you you don't have to run things through him. So he so any at any rate, he, he is clearly in the rotation. Then Matherin Isaiah Jackson is a question mark, probably on whether or not he's a guy you run with. And, yeah, if you want to hold him pick, around,
2: I'd say Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith are your are your Smith also, question yeah. marks from this. Past and season. those
1: are the two kind of guys probably now that with a bevy of picks that you try to load up on.
2: Yeah, I mentioned this earlier about Matherin and, and Jake. I I would agree with you on Nemhard in that he probably checks more boxes for you right now. Maybe not. Honestly, it's a little bit of the John Rahm thing of like he maybe doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but he just kind of checks a lot of boxes for you. And that's where you look at Matherin, and I think you're left being like, "Oh wait, there's more there." I mean, yesterday he had six assists; that was his season high. That is an area that he needs to work on. Of like, get in the lane and not just be bull in a china shop, trying to get to the foul line at all cost people are going to collapse on you. They're two and three defenders are on you. That means somebody's open. Find those guys. And then defensively, and I know he's mentioned this with Ronald Norad, he kind of wants the best assignment you know, night in, night out. He needs to grow more on that end of the floor. But as a, just a pure score, uh, he can check that box at the NBA level. All right, the great Lynn Dunn, she's going to join us next here. Uh, no better person to have uh, energy to start your Monday morning than her. She joins us next.
5: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins
0: to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's Kevin and Quarry. Nine
1: o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's nine o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. And joining us now in the Pay Less Lickers Hotline, one whose energy and enthusiasm I feel like in the morning kind of feels like when you look outside the window this morning. Seriously. Always upbeat and ready to go, and Lynn Dunn better actually be exactly that for the Indiana Fever as general manager because they have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five picks upcoming in the WNBA draft. The first overall, the seventh overall, 13th, 17th, and 28th. So Lynn, I will begin with this. Um, I would think that that has to be both encouraging and at the same time daunting to figure out exactly where you go with all of those picks got to be busy for you good
7: morning guys how are y'all doing (laughs) we are great coach thank you happy day after easter how about it is this easter for you well today's my easter uh, (laughs) because easter buddies gonna go visit me tonight
2: (laughs) (laughs) a a big old gold egg sitting there potentially i
7: would love it five of them yeah five of them five golden eggs now we're just thrilled um, that, you know, we've got five picks in this draft. It's a strong draft. Uh, we've been preparing since probably January, uh, spending time working on uh, the prospects. And now we're ready for you know seven p.m. tonight on ESPN, and let's get it started.
2: Yeah, you know, Jake, my my co-host here is you know a huge Indy five hundred. Obviously, he's on the radio broadcast for it. Um, I you know I think you guys have been pretty public in saying like you are in a rebuild right now. If you had to compare, maybe what lap of the uh, two hundred lap Indy five hundred is this rebuild? Are, are you guys pretty early in it? Do you feel like you're you're just a piece away? How would you characterize where you're at?
7: Well, we're in year two of what our new coach, Christy Sides likes to call reload. I think the rebuild scares her a little bit, but I like the idea of reloading. But we, we're we a little bit, I believe, ahead of the schedule that I had planned for us because we had such a, draft, a good draft last year. We've got a new coaching staff. I'm really excited about Christy and her assistant coaches and how much emphasis they're going to put on defense and, and just – playing the way the fever need to play so I think we're a little bit ahead of schedule uh, in our three-year plan I'm hoping this year or planning this year uh, that we'll be even more competitive than we've been ever since uh, the catchings era and and that we can fight for that that playoff spot there at the end and and so that's our goal this year is to be highly competitive and fight for a playoff spot
1: are you in position yet to strictly draft best player available or are there still very specific targeted needs that you go after
7: Yes and yes <laughs> Yes we're trying to go early in the draft with the very best player that fits a lot of our needs you know that that versatile player that can defend rebound and score Uh, we're not to the point where where we can just take a specialist. Now, the good news for us is we have five picks. We think we'll get a a great pick at one. I think we're going to get a great pick at seven, and then we may steal somebody at 13. You know, some of the GMs can fall asleep at the wheel. (laughs) Not you. Not me. I've been awake all night. I'm ready.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gee, you sound like you're awake. I will say that. Um, Look, the the conventional wisdom is, Lynn, that that Aaliyah Boston out of South Carolina is going to be the number one overall pick. Um, What about her game has people intrigued, and what does she bring to what theoretically is going to be the fever, but whatever team she ends up with next? Well,
7: the great thing about Aaliyah is she is a walking double-double. Uh, p- potentially a triple-double if she's not double and triple-teamed. The great thing we can do for her is put four shooters around her. And unfortunately, at South Carolina, they weren't able to do that. And many times she was double-teamed, triple-teamed, yet still uh, would get double-doubles. So we're looking forward to seeing what she can do with our you know defensive three-second three uh, rule and just the fact that we can spread the floor around her. So I, I think the skies. The limit for her, but we also have two other players that she'll now be paired with, and chelsea Mitchell and Alyssa Smith. So that's a great threesome there to build around.
2: So it sounds like Leah Boston will be the pick then.
7: Well, if I pick Boston,
2: okay, all right, all right. I just want to clarify there, Lynn Dunn, the GM of the Fever, she's with us here uh, on the Payless Liquors hotline. I want to go back to you know maybe just Leah Boston, the final four, and what you saw with the Final Four this year? I mean, by all accounts, the TV ratings were through the roof. Obviously, the individual stars help a whole lot. What do you think this year in women's basketball at the collegiate level did for the game moving forward?
7: I think it exploded. I don't think there's any doubt. When we saw the sold-out crowds down at IU, we saw the sold-out crowds at, at, at Iowa. And I have to give kudos to the Big Ten. They've done a superior job of selling women's basketball, and then to go to the Final Four and it just be so entertaining. And, of course, that, that, that's a big uh, thanks to Kim Bunkey and she's an entertainer, and Angel Reese, and Caitlin Clark, and we've just got these stars that can not only play, but they can entertain. I don't
2: know how much of a social media person you, you are, Coach, but what did you make of the Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark back and forth and the type of national attention it received?
7: Well, I thought it was a good way to sell and get more NILs. I think that's what it's all about now. The the players have the opportunity to get additional money if they're visible and if they're getting lots of hits on social media. So there's no telling how much more NIL money they got from just having a – it kind of looked like a fake little confrontation.
1: (laughs) And, you know (laughs) – it's interesting. Someone else made this point on social media, so I don't want to claim it as my own, But I, and I apologize. I don't know the name, but it was a great point, and that was while I realize that there are going to be those, Lynn Dunn, that are going to look at that and say, you know, here you have these two girls that are, you know, whatever. It's Is it sportsmanship? Is it not? Whatever else. The reality is doesn't it say something about the growth of the women's game that you have national sports shows talking about and debating the actions of women's basketball? No press is is bad press necessarily, but, but doesn't that speak volumes about where women's sports are now that we're able to have totally, seemingly innocuous debates about the sportsmanship of it?
7: absolutely absolutely no doubt about it when we when we logged 9.9 million viewers for the uh, championship game last sunday it sent a message that women's basketball is serious and i think uh i think when uh, iowa got back and put their 23 24 season tickets on sale uh they sold seven thousand. they had to stop selling them and so that's how exciting and how much interest there is in women's basketball i think it's going to carry over to the wnba i think we're going to we're going to bounce right off of the, the momentum that the, the, the uh, college championship had uh, uh, in Dallas.
1: This is going to sound... I, I hope what I'm trying to ask here makes sense. Uh, Lynn Dunn, by the way, the Fever general manager, is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Fevers with picks 1-7, 13-17, 7, and 28 in the WNBA draft.
7: That's 25, the, not 28. Oh,
1: 25. 25. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, okay. The, the evolution... Of the women's game to me seems like you know it really in the last three or four years we have started to see in the women's game what we've seen in the men's game and that is moving towards more and more of like positionless basketball you know women that can play multiple positions or score or do things from various areas it seems to me like that really has accelerated in the last couple of years as girls have you know begun to play more and more in year round and etc Are are we in a time period where we could see on a WNBA roster veteran players who were kind of more from an older player style having to mesh with younger players that are bringing the more accelerated women's game with them? Does that make sense what I'm asking?
7: Yes, it really does, and I think you're right. I think we're seeing... Uh, positionless basketball we're seeing a Caitlin Clark that can play the one two three she can play all three positions she's a point forward you know we're seeing fives that can play the four we're seeing fours that can play the three we're spreading the floor we're seeing four out or five out and that's because their skills have improved they've been playing now and thanks to title nine They've been playing now since they were in the third grade. They've had an opportunity to play on biddy teams, uh, middle school teams, junior high, high school. And so their skills um, have really, really increased. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, and they're just better.
2: Curious what you thought about um, the season Grace Berger had down at, down in Bloomington and how she projects to the next level.
7: I thought she had a great season. And we mentioned versatility and positionless potential. Uh, the great thing about Grace is she can play the one, the two, and the three. She's six foot. She's big. She's strong. She's physical. And uh, that's a big adjustment when you go to the next level, the physicality of the league. Everything's faster and everything's more physical. And and she, she is – a great leader. She's a floor leader. She, you know, she leads on the court and she leads off the court. A lot of positives about Grace Berger.
2: Lynn, last one for me, and again, Lynn Dunn busy now. As she said earlier, she's got some Easter eggs she's hoping to open up here a little bit later today. 7 o'clock, the 2023 WNBA draft gets underway. Do you think they should change the age limit at all when when it comes from, you know, people leaving college going to the uh, WNBA? Because right now, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's 23 if I'm not 23 years old?
7: Yeah it's a real interesting dynamic that the league initially said, okay, you couldn't come out until you graduated or at least spent four years in college or if you were over if you were a foreigner, you had to be you know 22 23. I'm surprised that a underclassman has not challenged that in, in court that they haven't just you know filed a lawsuit, but nobody has. They've just pretty much followed those guidelines. But I think as the sport continues to grow, it's just a matter of time to one of these juniors uh, that's fantastic and that's a little bit ahead of everybody else is tired of school and you know, and they and they file some type of a lawsuit. I think it may happen in the future.
1: If that were the case this year and Caitlin Clark was available, would it cause you sleepless nights of figuring out what to do?
7: I don't even want to think about it. I'm not <laughs> sleeping now. I can't even imagine what it would be like if she was in. The good news is I think she'll be in next year, even though she has an extra COVID year I think Caitlin will have a fantastic senior year and say, I'm ready to go play with the big girls. I'm ready to to test my skills against the best.
2: Coach, have fun tonight. I I don't even know if I need to say that, but I can only imagine (laughs) what your emotions are with, again, all of the quality picks that you do have, quantity and quality. It's got to be an awesome night to continue this rebuild. So enjoy it, and uh, it sounds like we might have the number one pick on this show tomorrow morning. So looking forward to that.
7: Thank you so much. And I just want to say one thing. I know the p- Pacers didn't get in the playoffs, but I thought they had a super season. Everybody's excited about them. They got better. They were competitive. I love their young players. So let's, let's keep pulling for the Pacers because I think this time next year they may very well be in the playoffs. I would
2: agree. Thank you, coach. You're welcome. Thank you. That is the one and only Lynn Dunn here on this Monday morning. Picks one 7, 13, 17, 25.
1: Can we get a war room cam of Lynn Dunn tonight? <laughs> I'd like to have, I'd like to have Lynn Dunn as a roommate because, like, every morning it just be like, just let's go. Okay. You don't even need the K cup. You don't even need the coffee. You just talk to Lynn Dunn <laughs> right. and you'll be ready totally. to go here. Totally. Kind of reminds me. I, I, I don't know. Like just. Just literally the sunshine of the morning. That's what they used to call Terry Stacy. sunshine of the morning show. Lynn Dunn's like the sunshine of the morning, right? I see
2: a lot of similarities between Terry Stacy and Lynn Dunn. Um, Aaliyah Boston, Jake, out of South Carolina. It certainly sounds like she will be the number one pick. Uh, Lynn Dunn mentioned this, double-double machine. She had a triple-double in her first game ever at South Carolina. Throw blocks on top of the points and rebounds pretty cool story came from the u.s virgin islands uh, played at south carolina people rave about her from a just work ethic and humility standpoint so depending on the national media schedule for Leah boston tomorrow morning um i think we're going to have her on probably around this time have you been to the u.s virgin islands
1: no i've not i how, thought you were gonna ask we, me
2: if i've been to a fever playoff how, how do we divvy
1: up between the u.s virgin islands and the british virgin islands do we know that
2: that's a great question because I, people
1: always seem to go to the british virgin isles right
2: you really don't or at least i'll speak for myself i really don't fully understand how many islands are actually in the caribbean <laughs> until you look at a right. map
1: oh yeah for sure no
2: now, the only time i have ever been i've been out of the country on three different occasions mexico a couple of years ago grand cayman when i was probably like 12 and then to london uh when the colts played over
1: there how about niagara falls you've been to niagara Falls? Uh, i guess i have been yeah
2: Canadian we got this because
1: we got the short end on that like i don't know if that was like the french indian war or where that came down but they we got bamboozled on that they're like we'll take the horseshoe falls oh okay you have that we'll take the american you know our side which is fairly lame well the horseshoe falls, people would cool. say we get we get the football team
2: and the bad view True. you guys don't get the football team but you get the good view
1: yeah and they've been in canada's been trying to get the football team for a while right but they get the Car race Toronto does get the IndyCar race, and there's now, uh, again, a flight coming home, so that's good. And you are off to, is it Alabama this weekend? Uh, Long Beach this weekend. Long Beach. It's the best. Alabama later this month. Absolute best. Uh, Long Beach, then home for a weekend, and then, yes, Alabama the weekend after that. So, I can tell you guys, a week from today is going to be rough, because I come back on a red eye, and I land, like, right... Heading straight to the airport, coming off of sitting on a plane for four hours.
2: That's one of those where the delay wouldn't be the end of the world. Right, Mark? Well, without question. What's Mm -hmm.
3: that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The the links I go to to show you guys the the love, and that's what I get. Right?
2: Uh, John, want to talk Benedict Matherin? Mm-hmm. What's up, John? Good morning.
8: Good morning. Good morning. I, I heard you guys talking about the U.S. Virgin Islands. I've got a brother who's lived there for 40 years on St. Croix, and he loves it. How uh, many people so, are on that island? You know, I don't know, but by the end of the week when I visited him, I actually started to feel, you know, you've heard of island fever before, where you feel like you're kind of on a confined space. I, I drove the whole island, and I concluded, although it's beautiful, it is. I don't think I'd want to live on an island.
1: I had a buddy that I'm happened to a buddy of mine that happened to in Hawaii. He was like all about moving to Honolulu. And after like a year there, he's like, oh my gosh. Like, it, you know, it's like if you can't get outside 465, you're like, get me out of here. What's yeah. your brother do there? He's an attorney, he's a lawyer. Wow. Now, really dumb question here. So obviously, I mean, it's a U.S. territory, so you don't need a passport american currency i mean is it just basically like being in florida you
8: know i i've been there twice and it was a while ago so i can't re- recall the specifics as to what i had to do to get there i know he went there because he could practice law as a u.s attorney uh, but beyond that i i can't
4: tell you uh, answer your questions there that's pretty cool though yeah cool.
1: all right fair enough uh so you had a pacer thought as well yeah, Benedict
8: Matherin. First of all, I, I love the guy. I mean, the guy's athletic, great size, great attitude. I mean, he's a guy who who wants to win. My question to you is: Is long distance shooting? Do you think he has a hitch in his in his shot? I mean, these days to be elite at six six, elite, you have to be able to shoot the ball long distance. In my opinion, uh, do you think two, three, four, five years from now? He's going to be a good enough three-point shooter, long-distance shooter, such that he'll be an elite player.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I appreciate that, John. If you look at his numbers in college, he hovered right around 40% from three. I think this year he was a tad over 30%. So you definitely want to see that number climb. I think what you like about Matherin is this. You, you, you sit here and you say to yourself, he can get better on the defensive end of the floor. He can get better as a playmaker from an assist standpoint. He can get better from long distance. And yet the dude still average nearly 17 points per game off the bench. So I think there's a high baseline for him as a score at this level. Um, judging by his work ethic and his willingness, I mean, the stories are pretty crazy of like him saying to Rick Carlisle, let's go to the back of the plane and let's watch film. like. Right. Tyrese Halliburton's mentioned, Like guys just don't do that. So I think you will have a guy pretty committed to making any tweaks that are necessary for his jump shot. Obviously, the more he plays with Halliburton, you would think the more cleaner looks he will get as well. So if that number can kind of be mid to high 30s and he still can get to the foul line at the level that he's gotten to, there's no reason why he can't
1: average 20 a game in the NBA. I think his, his release point from outside shooting – this is just my naked eye observation, but um he has to bring it down a little bit before he he releases. so he probably takes a little bit longer to get he doesn't have the quick release that other shooters do, but you could probably develop that. like Reggie Miller when he would get it, you know, it was the the quick release and the fact that he could release the ball from such a high angle that it was harder to defend. Um, Ray Allen had a quick release that was a real strength of his. I just think that his release time is probably that 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 gap between college and the pro that that's probably where that you know 8% drop off or whatever comes just because the windows aren't as open because he needs that extra and that comes just with the footwork and the the, the ability to figure out how to get yourself that open space once he gets that then that comes back up a little bit but he is I like his moxie, and I like just his overall approach. I just look – when he comes into games, I I, I look in his eyes, and you can just tell.
2: It's rare to find guys, Jake, like him who is extremely confident, borderline cocky, probably cocky to be totally honest with you, but yet is such a willing and desired work ethic person. Yeah. Like he wants to get better badly. Um, And I think that's kind of a rare combination to have a guy that, again – Um, Pretty darn cocky out there on the floor. Pretty darn confident, but he also is a guy that realizes that if he wants to back up the words that he said all along of, I want to be one of the greats to ever play this game, there's a lot of work that needs to go into that. But, you know, if you'd have told me at the start of the year he's going to average close to 17 a game, get to the foul line as frequently as he did, I think you would sign up for that. Again, knowing that, to John's point, the jump shot can improve a little bit. He can become a better playmaker. And on the defensive end of the floor... You know, he can he can take some strides. I mean, look at Paul George's rookie year. And he was a two-year college yeah. guy. So, um, I think you got to like what you found. The, to me, individually, Halliburton becoming a legit all-star and Matherin being an NBA scorer, those two are just so critical to what you're trying to build.
1: And Mather, uh, Matherin yesterday was the leading scorer for the Pacers in their season-ending win. That leads off our morning checkdown. Uh, Pacers win 141-136 over the New York Knicks. That snaps a three-game skid to end the season. Benedict Matherin with 26. Jordan Wara, Andrew Nembhard 19 each as the Pacers now find themselves slotted 7th with the Washington Wizards for the... Draft lottery. It was Rick
2: Carlisle yesterday, and wrapping up the season at
1: 35 and 47. Uh, just you know, it was a heartfelt thank you on behalf of uh, our staff, our, our support staff, for an amazing year. High integrity, high class people. Who um, really pulled for each other the entire year. Who um, really care about each other. Yeah, and I think who really want to build something special here. And who you know that this is going to be worth proving this year that we can score. We've got to get our defense better based on the fact that we got to become better individual defenders and we've got to become better team defenders. That's a big thing on the list of priorities for next year. And uh, like everything else, it'll be upon us very quickly. By the way, are they using like a, a boom microphone, an auxiliary mic, as opposed to a narrowed in mic?
2: A lot of people trying to get out of Madison Square Garden there it sounded like uh, the defense phone certainly booth an in the issue. background with or without Miles Turner for the <laughs> uh, all right the Masters yesterday it is John Rahm he becomes the first European ever to capture a U.S. Open and a Masters he came back from four down to start the day yesterday to win by four shots Phil Mickelson finishes second along with Brooks Kepka. Jordan Spieth at seven under Jake you good with
1: John Rahm yeah he was cool I mean he um thought his family afterwards you know his having his his two children out there seemed like a, a good dude and he seemed to very much appreciate the moment and as I mentioned earlier I, you could tell I think it was either on 16 or 17 Kepka was kind of sitting and just pondering and looking over everything and he just kind of had this smirk on his face and at that moment you could kind of tell uh he knew that Rahm and his ability to consistently shoot for all four days was too much to overcome.
2: Yeah, I think when you consider again, four-shot lead for Kepka loses by four. He was on the better side of the draw weather-wise. Rom was not. It, it, it's a little bit of a choke for me in that. And it's not like Rom went out there and shot 62 or 63 and, you know, Kepka just couldn't play good enough
1: golf. Rom Kepka looked like he was going to try to make it interesting down the stretch. I mean, I'll give him that. Yeah, She right. tried
2: to backdoor it a little bit with the birdie on fifteen and sixteen, but still uh, too much to overcome there. And John Rahm is your twenty twenty three Masters champion.
1: Major League Baseball yesterday. Reds over the Phillies six four. It was the Brewers over the Cardinals six one. Marks Arizona Diamondbacks over the Dodgers eleven six. Uh the A's are terrible. They, they were stink. beaten by <laughs> beaten by the Rays eleven nothing. Tampa is undefeated. They are nine and 0 Rangers over the Cubs eight two. Uh cute fella. Beaten by the Yankees five three, Indianapolis Indians eight one winners over the Louisville.
2: Ah, Will Val Torres just announced he's out for the year. That's disappointing. He uh, withdrew uh, leading in the Masters due to a back injury. He he played like five holes, right? Uh, he no, he did not tee it up at all. Kevin Na okay. the one that withdrew after a handful of holes, and then of course Tiger withdrew after uh, what was it? 36-ish holes. I guess he played a little bit in that third round. Uh, the highlight baseball-wise from the weekend was Brady Ware from University of Indianapolis. Uh, the grad transfer in one game this man had a no-hitter and he also hit for the cycle. Seven innings pitched, 110 total pitches. He did walk five batters. He had 11 strikeouts. Again, did not allow a single hit for UND. And then at the plate he was four for four, five RBIs
1: for the cycle um i mean truly amazing that's something that i never ever ever would have thought i'd see you'd see at any any level in baseball
2: what do players think of hit for the cycle in major league baseball
1: oh i mean a thousand i guess like how, how would you compare that guess. to a no hitter i think the no hitter is more well you know the difference being you get an if you are a position player you get a chance to hit for the cycle every single day 160 times, well, however many, 135 times a year. Whereas if you're a pitcher, you only get 30 opportunities to throw a no hitter, but still. Um, I always
2: think the anticipation when you do see a guy trying to go for the cycle, that anticipation for like the last at bat is always just wild. Like, all right, he needs a double. Oh, I love it. Trying to look up uh, right now how the uh, hits went for where. It looks like he had a home run in the second inning. He then bat, like, how about this? He uh, was up to bat twice in the second inning. They bat around, you windy. He leads off with a homer, and then he bats again later in the inning. He has a triple
1: and three RBIs. Three hundred and thirty-nine major league players have hit for the cycle. Wow, that's a little lower than I thought. Yeah, I would agree. So a
2: homer and a triple in the same inning for Ware. Um, he then had a double in the third. So by the end of the third inning, all he needed was a single, and he got that in the fifth. How many guys have completed a cycle by the end of the fifth inning?
1: Isn't there a is there a word for getting a cycle in order? Is there? I I think there is. There's a certain kind of you know, like he did a such. So he went in reverse order. Wow, 318 have thrown a no hitter. Wow, that's really close. And this dude did both in the same game. I'm telling you, that's like the most remarkable sports story of the year. It's amazing.
2: So, again, be. thanks to Alex and the YouTube chat for clearing this up. Um, UND, within their conference, they play four-game series. The middle games are seven-inning games. So this was a seven-inning scheduled game. Ware hit a homer in the second, got around again in the second inning, had a triple. In the third, he doubled. At that point, they're up 13 nothing. He then gets up again in the fifth inning, and he had a single to complete the cycle. While pitching seven innings, 110 pitches, and five strikeouts.
3: Doing a cycle in order is called a natural cycle. Okay, there
2: we go. I knew there was some term. So for would it.
3: his be unnatural then
2: if he went in reverse? That's right. Uh, we have Deontay Lee, NFL draft analyst for the Athletic, coming up to round out the show. For now, though, it is the pop quiz. Give us a call, 317 239
0: 107. All right, it is time. Raise a spoon to grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating McDonald's for a limited time.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: Time for the pop quiz. Uh, Deontay Lee, NFL draft analyst, is going to join us here in about 10. Again, Anthony Richardson, that name seems to be becoming more and more popular on the mock draft circuit. For the Colts, would they need to trade up to three for him? Will he be there at four? All things we can toss Deontay's way coming up in a few uh, Jake at number one through
1: eight uh, we'll go with number that was the sixth Spaniard to win the Masters so uh, or fourth but sixth overall I'll go with six Jason
2: Jason yeah Jason how you doing man I'm doing wonderful Jason did you have any rooting interest in the Masters
4: Uh, yeah I always like to
2: come back so I was in for to top it. say it again I said I was want, always
4: want the underdog, so I was looking for Cops to come back. But
2: yeah, the uh, the drama there, like first twelve holes of the final round, was great, and then all of a sudden it just kind of got a bit of a uh, victory lap almost. Hey, Jason, for
1: on a one to ten scale, how big a golf fan would you say you are? Uh, when I'm on the links, probably at eight or nine, but uh, probably about three. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most, one being the least how much is the live golfer versus pga golfer a rooting factor for you uh probably about uh, one or two depends on what mood i'm in okay fair enough uh jason did you grow up in the area yeah man Uh, i text you actually i went to eastwood oh my man what what year did you graduate from north did you go to north central then yeah yeah nc92 oh you're behind me okay
2: jason what's your favorite golf course in the area
4: uh, I'm a South Sider, so, um, we go down to, um, oh, uh, the, uh. Legends? Yeah, Legends,
2: that's it. Nice. Legend. Hickory Stick off that exit, too, is a pretty good course as well. Same yeah, exit. Hickory
1: Stick played that a bunch.
2: Yeah, turn right instead of turning left.
1: Now, Jason, I'm assuming that you have no recollection of me from North Central, correct? Well, we can only help. I don't know anybody from North Central hardly. It was so huge at the time. Yeah, it was a big school. Um, All right, Jason, would you like for me, that would be Jake to lead you off, or would you like for Kevin to give you question number one? Let's go, Jake. All right, here we go. Uh, John Rahm is the fourth Spaniard. I just mentioned that, actually, to win the Masters. Which of the following Spaniards does not belong on the Masters winners list from Spain? Sergio Garcia, Miguel Angel Jimenez, Seve Ballesteros, or Jose Maria Alathabal? Oh man, uh, who was the uh, the second one he said? What was his name? Miguel Angel Jimenez. Jimenez, that's him, yeah.
2: Guess yep. on the mechanic number two here, Jason. Rahm won the Masters despite getting a double bogey on the opening hole of the tournament. Name another golfer to win the Masters despite opening the tournament with a double bogey. It happened a long time ago. A, Rahm is the first. B, Arnold Palmer. C, Raymond Floyd. Or D, the sweet swinging Sam Sneed.
1: As long ago, we'll say with Sneed. All right. Question three. Uh, NBA season's complete. Joel Embiid, leading scorer in the league. James Harden, leading assist man in the league. The last time that a franchise had those two categories on the same roster as leaders for the season. Was it the Celtics that did that, the Lakers, the San Antonio Spurs, or the Portland Trailblazers?
4: Let's see. Wow. Leading
1: scorer and assist for the season. I'm going to give you this simple hint. If you're getting a soft drink and you say you'd like ice with it, that might help you with one one of the players involved. Uh, Celtics, Lakers, Spurs, or Blazers? Uh, Spurs. Okay. All right, number four here, Jason. LeBron
2: finishes regular season with 36 points and a Lakers win over the Jazz. It was his 80th game of 30 or more points since he turned 35 years old tying him for the nba record for most 30 point games after turning 35 who is he tied with carl malone kareem abdul jabbar vince carter or dirk nowitzki
4: whoa um
1: well carl malone question five for you Pride eastwood right now jason, that's right stand up what about eastwood do you remember me at eastwood jason uh, that was my first. when I first started Eastwood in seventh grade, that was my first year okay. I moved from the south side. Okay, fair so enough. So I was still getting to know people. Fair enough. Uh, nice way of saying no. 110 years ago today, the New York Yankees played their first game as the Yankees. What were the New York Yankees, Yankees known as before changing their name? Were they the Americans, the Highlanders, the Metropolitans, or the Gothams? Wow. Yeah. Um. What were the first two again? First two options, the Americans or the Highlanders? Wasn't Metropolitan, so we'll say the Americans.
2: You know, the um, the nickname, Jake, uh, big rival of ours in high school golf.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Would that be no, Floyd not. Central? Is that right? Pride of New Albany floyd
2: central area um all right uh we got to go quick here a hell of an effort by jason he got the first four right how about that
1: he did uh, miguel on C- alameda yeah. sam
2: snee yes! that
1: is correct
2: Carl Malone. jake number five though the one slip
1: up yankee stadium was not known as yankee stadium because they were not yet the yankees but their stadium was on top of a hill thus they were known as the highlanders you blew
0: it
2: thanks for calling jason
1: all right, Deontay Lee, NFL draft
2: analyst, to round it out.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating participating McDonald's for a limited time.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yeah, you
2: know, We think we start our mornings relatively early. Our next guest... Deontay Lee, draft analyst for The Athletic. This is the second time we've had him on, and I am amazed that he continues to do this in a live setting because where he is right now, I believe it is 6.42 in the morning. Deontay, uh, I wish I had as much individual drive as you do on a Monday. Thank you for the time today.
4: Oh, man, no problem at all. I I would say it definitely helps being a father to a young kid. You know, my, my sleep schedule... Is as fickle as it can be to begin with, so it's no problem. I'm usually up around this time trying to get prepped for the day, so I'm glad to be on with you guys talking ball. Well,
2: it means a lot that you've decided to do it with us. Um, This time of year, I almost think the draft takes become a bit nauseating, to be totally honest with you. So I know you're not maybe a huge social media guy, but of all kind of the draft groupthink thoughts that you've seen maybe gain traction here as of late, what's the one draft – stereotype if you will that you're like where is that coming from
4: um you know it's hard this class is really fascinating for that um because i do think that because there's been such a clear understanding i think on who the best guys are in this class like you said that the draft takes this year can kind of get stale i think they definitely got stale a bit faster than you would see in other classes i would say the one that bothers me the most is that I'm consistently seeing and, and hearing from people who have been in the media for longer than me that I'll speak to on the side, that they have a legitimate expectation that Will Anderson is going to fall. And I, I just don't know what that's founded in at, at any point in, in Will Anderson's college career, based on how he performed, you know, in the athletic testing, um, you know, what we hear about him and his work ethic. So that that is the one thing I have a really hard time wrapping my head around is that there seems to be, This almost kind of completely expect complete expectation that on draft day, Will Anderson is going to slip past what we might um, assume his draft value to be.
1: Deontay, I'm going to ask you the question that I've asked several people, and I'm I'm curious the various answers. Actually, there are four quarterbacks. You know, obviously in Indianapolis, we're looking at quarterback heavily, right? I mean, there are four quarterbacks: Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, that are all thought to be possibly the first four picks or four of the top five or six picks. Do you believe that that is because this is a year where there are four quarterbacks who are so good that they are worthy of being top ten picks? Or is it because there are four teams drafting in the top ten that are in desperate need of quarterback?
4: I think that the value gets inflated by the latter. I think that it's the need for a quarterback at the top of the draft that I think motivates what we see in terms of the inflation or the expectation that these guys are all going to go top four or top five or whatever the case may be. So I would say it has a lot. It has a lot more to do with the teams than I think the players. That's not to say that I don't believe that any of the players could be top fifteen, top ten picks in their own right, but. When you're looking at a draft board that happens to have a bunch of teams in the top 10, and we already saw a trade to number one overall for a team that we know needs a quarterback, that I think speaks to the way that teams move with their particular franchise needs more than it is how we're evaluating the players.
2: And Deontay Lee is with us, NFL Draft Analyst for the Athletic. He's here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You, you mentioned w- Will Anderson earlier, and let's just like write out this hypothetical a little bit. Let's say a team trades up to Arizona uh, and, and takes a quarterback. Let's say it's Anthony Richardson. And the Colts are sitting there at four, and it's Will Levis and Will Anderson, both on the board. If you're Chris Ballard, you go Anderson or you go Levis?
4: Oh, it's rough. It, it, it's rough for me because now we're having a conversation about how you want to build your franchise. right? And I think that Kind of um, layered in that is what is the best way to get your franchise back to contention? Is it to get the quarterback that you believe can be a star and then build everything around him or try to have the best roster possible to drop a quarterback into? Um, So I think for Indy and where their roster is at or for where I think that their franchise is looking at, I would probably go Levis because it's been such a headache on the carousel for veteran quarterbacks and striking out with those guys because of age or because of quality of play or a combination of both. I I know if I were Chris Ballard, I would have the exact same mentality that he's had this offseason, which is that I just want to have a young guy here that's cost-controlled for four to five years, if not longer. We'll try to develop this thing around him, and we've got a young OC to develop with him as well. Or a young head coach that was an offensive coordinator to develop with him as well. That would be the way I'd be looking
2: at it. Okay, and then if we want to, I guess, go to, all right, what if Levis and Richardson are both on the board? Yeah, I don't know if you think this way, but it seems like you know maybe there's a tier of Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and then the next tier is Levis and Richardson. The question that I was throwing out l- late last week was, I think you got to find out what flaws the guys have and then ask yourself, are those flaws teachable? Right. Would you say Levis's flaws are more teachable, or would you say Richardson's flaws are more teachable?
4: Um, I would say Richardson because I, I think that what you're trying to fix, quote unquote, with Richardson is really just a matter of um, slowing his process down with moving in the pocket and, and preparing himself to throw the ball. You know, I, I think that with Levis. You know, when you look at how he manages a pocket and the amount of contact that he's taken over the last couple of years, particularly last year when he was already hurt, and you could tell that the offense was asking him not to run as much to escape from pressure, the fact that he had a tough time finding answers for himself within that offense is really concerning for me. I don't think those same concerns exist when you're talking about, you know, 6'4", you know, um, Uh, Anthony Richardson, and that's not to say that Will Levis is small or weak, but I think that you see the ways in which they handle pressure, they handle the bodies that are next to them, how they work their way around the pocket. I I would be much more comfortable probably to, quote-unquote, fix the issues that you see in Richardson than hoping that you get 2021 Will Levis for the entirety of his pro career.
1: You have two GMs that are looking at this draft, Deontay Lee, and each of them has a very specific need of player your know, position. Uh, the one that's gonna be the happiest because this draft is absolutely loaded at his position of need is the guy that is looking for what position. And the guy that is the most screwed because this one just doesn't offer a lot for him is the guy looking for what position.
4: Ooh, I would say I would say there's a two way tie for the most loaded position in this class. I would say it's tight end and corner. So if you're in need of a tight end that can work those intermediate areas, that can threaten defenses up the scene. You know, that you can kind of build into being, you know, a good inline blocker and maybe a guy you can flex out or get in one on one coverage the way that we've seen the Chiefs do with Travis Kelsey. Um, I think that this is a good class for that. And I think that there's a high potential that we end up with three to four franchise number one level corners out of this class too. I think that if you're looking for interior offensive linemen that can maybe develop in the, Perennial All-Pros or Pro Bowl talents, I think that this is going to be a difficult draft for that, and this is maybe the lightest linebacker class I've ever evaluated you know, in my time working in the media. So I would say interior offensive line and linebacker, if you're looking for those guys to fix the issues that you have with their franchise, this is not the year to solve it in the draft.
2: Well, some good and bad there for the Colts. The Colts certainly have a need at corner, massive need at corner. That second-round pick, in my opinion, could come in here. And start from day one. Deontay, I want to go back to Anthony Richardson for a second. And again, Anthony Richard. Deontay Lee is with us here on the uh, Payless Liquors hotline, covers the NFL draft for the Athletic. You know, you see Anthony Richardson's uh, accuracy number from last year. The completion percentage is is ugly, but, you know, you probably, or we probably should, and I raised my hand, I probably should put some context around that number. It's like a 54% completion percentage. But when you dive into, like, drops, catchable balls, there's a lot of people out there that say it's a little bit better for Anthony Richardson than it looks on paper with that completion percentage. What have you you observed from Anthony Richardson when it comes to the accuracy?
4: Um, I think the first thing you have to ask when you're looking at completion percentage is what kind of throws he's being asked to make um, when he's starting, you know, in his starts. I think that really if you have questions of him, it's going to be, Is what we saw in a limited amount of film really where he stands right now, or is this something that was progressing? You know, We just didn't get enough time to see it through the way that you see a guy who's a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young who gets two, three years as a starter to really kind of iron out the kinks in their game. I think with Richardson, A, they were trying to throw the ball deep. He was looking to throw the ball deep. They were a much more vertical offense, and you see some of these like RPO-heavy offenses over the last half decade to decade in in the college football game. So that's a starter. You're already talking about higher variance on completions, which has an effect on it. Um, Number two, I would say in terms of skill position talent, if we're comparing Ohio State, which maybe has had like six or seven first rounders on the roster at a given time, playing wide receiver and tight end over the last couple of years and an offensive line, and you look at Alabama, we know the machine that they've been with the receivers that they put in the NFL um, and what we usually expect of their offensive line over the years this past year notwithstanding. And then you look at what Florida's dealing with. I mean, if you, even if you had given Anthony Richardson, I think, the supporting cast that Will Levis had in 2021 uh, with uh, with Wandell Robinson, with having uh, Liam Cohen and a better, you know, veteran offensive line. I, and I think that his offensive line at Florida was fine. I just think that the supporting cast, they were is something that has to be contextualized in his evaluation. I um, mean, with the Colts, I think that that's particularly interesting given Shane Steichen's time with Jalen Hurts, you know, because really, it really wasn't all that different when you're looking at Jalen Hurts um, as a quarterback, you know, coming from Alabama and Oklahoma. He was most comfortable throwing the ball vertically, wasn't the greatest in the intermediate areas, or working in the middle of the field, had decent pocket field, but maybe left it a little bit early. Um, but you figure that if you use his legs properly, you can buy him some time to develop. And then that's what we saw in 2022. So if you're an NBA and you got Shane Steichen there, the question Ballard should be asking is, do you see Jalen Hurts in Anthony Richardson? And if so, is that something that you're comfortable doing again?
1: Does Will Levis have mobility? Uh, I mean, you know, I know that his consistency probably is another one that, that that's been brought into play. But what is he like outside the pocket?
4: When he was healthy in 2021, he's as good an athlete, you know, in terms of, like, linear speed and acceleration as there is in this class. You know, the guy can run. I think that dealing with the toe and the foot injuries that he had for uh, for last year at Kentucky. Like I said, that offense was asking him to stand in the pocket and not run as much. There wasn't as much bootlegging and getting him outside, you know, making these off-platform throws or getting him away from pressure as there was the year before but he can run, you know, so if he's 100% good to go, well, I think everybody kind of saw the pictures that he put up on Instagram or what have you about how he's been working out to get himself back in shape. You know, I I don't know if I have takes on how Jack, the quarterback is is or isn't supposed to be to be successful as a pro, but if he's in great shape and you can trust that and, you know, you're in an offense like Indy's where you're going to allow this guy to take off, you know, with Shane Steichen, when it's necessary or design runs, if he can handle it, I think that Levis, the the healthiest and best version of Levis, can run just as well as anybody in this class, I, th- I would say, outside of Anthony Richardson, just given what we know of his top-end speed. Deontay, you, you said you have a boy or a girl? I have a boy.
2: Okay. If I were to tell you your boy is going to sleep through the night for the rest of his childhood – but in order for that to be the case, you have to bet on one player in this draft being a Hall of Famer on offense and one player in this draft being a Hall of Famer on defense. Your answers to the offense and your answer to the
4: defense. Defense is easy. That's Will Anderson. I'll bet my peaceful nights on Will Anderson 100% (laughs) of the time. Um, Offense, that's interesting because there's not like a – Superior talent at wide receiver, where it's like, hey, this guy can step in like a Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave and be a thousand-yard guy from right out the gate, and rack up maybe enough Pro Bowls and All Pros to where they can be in the conversation throughout their career. It Doesn't sound like we have that uh, on the O line either, really. Not really. I mean, y- you think about you know the trajectory for a guy like Paris Johnson, and it's like, okay, I've seen guys that are six six with nearly seven foot arms and are huge and athletic. I've seen that turn into all pro guys, but they usually walk into the NFL a little bit more refined from a footwork perspective, you know, to turn into that guy. Peter Skaronski is really, really clean in terms of his feet and everything, but he is not the physical marvel that some of the other tackles and offensive linemen we expect to become Hall of Fame talents usually are, and that is a legitimate holdup for me, regardless of how good he was at Northwestern. Um, so if I had to bank it on one guy, God, that is rough. I would have to say I, I maybe I'd bank it on B. John Robinson. Hmm. I think that I think, you know, if we're talking about just skills and athleticism, he is still, I think, the best non quarterback offensive player in this class, regardless of how we feel about running back value, but he's somebody who can legitimately pass for tech. Maybe not to the level of Ezekiel Elliott in his athletic prime, but not far off. So, somebody that you don't have to take off the field on third down. We know what he can do in terms of being an electric athlete, you know, in one-on-one tackle scenarios and making guys miss. So I'm very comfortable with that. He can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. And I think the beautiful thing for that, you know, if you're talking about a running back or skill position player making the Hall of Fame, it's so situation-dependent. And are you going to be getting the best out of them? and because it's looking like he might be late teens to early 20s, he might land in a place that's like a Dallas. He might land in Buffalo. He could land in Cincinnati. You know, he could land in Detroit, which has this monstrous offensive line and an offense that's really built to feature a guy like Bijan Robinson is something that they've been looking for, you know, in the combination of DeAndre Schiff and and Jamal Williams last year anyways. But I think there's a lot of opportunity actually this year For all of the hemming and hawing that's been done on running back value where he might land in that late first round and it's actually at a team where we look back and was like I think that maybe we should have taken him in the top 12 for no other reason and we just made an offense unfairly loaded you know because of what they added at running back so if I had to bank it on one guy I'd rather put it on Bijan than anyone else.
3: Deontay great
2: stuff man we gotta run get some rest and uh, appreciate the insight.
4: Um, and I appreciate you guys. Back to sleep I go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is Deontay Lee right Good there call. from San Diego. Thank you to Lynn Dunn, Will Haskett. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And McDonald's for a limited time.